Okay, guys, going to get started here in just a second. I'm just going to turn off the computer here. Turn off the computer. Turn off the lights. Let's go. Let's go. It's got like the He-Man theme in my head now. I have the power of grace. Go. This. All right, let me go ahead and share this on Twitter as well. Get the Twitter peeps involved. And then go ahead and make sure that post. And copy the link. And here. Okay. Said that like little rascals if you guys remember the little rascals okay okay here i think i got everything lined up in here Grab my all right let's go ahead and get started welcome to savvy sabs podcast this is episode 44 the case for third parties Ralph Nader explained pros and cons of third parties on Democracy Now!, Ralph explains the heroism of Jill Stein and the cowardice of Bernie Sanders in reference to third parties. Does the Justice Democrat strategy prove the case for third parties? And I see we already got people lined up in the queue. Let's go ahead and put Karthik here on the mic. So you just be ready to go, Karthik. Hope the app is working out for tonight. Maybe I should make Karthik a speaker, invite to speak. That's one thing I noticed too, like some people just make everybody speakers and it just works that way. I don't know what happened. Karthik, I don't know what happened to you. But I, I did invite you as a speaker. I'm going to go ahead and we'll chat, chit chat a bit and see if um, that works out for Karthik. So if you saw tonight's episode, we're talking about the case for third parties. And we talked about the pros and cons of the Justice Democrats and third parties as well. And I do want to start off this conversation by letting you guys know that I'm not here to say that third parties are easier. But it's just a matter of if you want to do what's easier or if you want to do what you feel is best in reference to democracy and shaking up the Democratic Party a little bit in this country. Let me see if I can make Case a speaker uh, as well. Okay, Karthik, you're here. You have to unmute. Hi, Zabby. There you go. Uh, sorry for making you wait. Um, I was talking to somebody, unfortunately. But so speaking with the Justice Democrats, so I, I unfortunately didn't see Ralph Nader's uh, video on Democracy Now. Um, but in reference to Justice Democrats, um, just themselves, I think they provided an important lesson, like, you know, that like that I would say is that the same thing that uh, Kashama Shawant said many years ago, that like, you know, the road for movements in the Democratic Party is, you know, a graveyard. Um, I think she said that on the Democracy Now!, and it's a good lesson for us that, you know, the Dems aren't going to work. And that 
Um, obviously, like third parties are like close to impossible, as, as we all know. You know, very very difficult. But I just know it seemed like, like it just seemed like like everyone that goes into the Democratic Party gets co opted somehow. Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying there, uh, Karthik. I think that's the problem, though, with going into the Democratic Party. It's it's going to be really difficult to push back against corporate establishment, especially a party that's been controlled by corporate money. And that's really the big issue is is the corporate money. So there's a question of whether or not you can even get the money out, number one, but also do people actually want to try that to get rid of ending Citizens United? That was a big one like a couple years ago. People were really focused on that. And I feel like it's kind of lost its focus there isn't as much pressure uh, put towards that now. So that that's concerning as well. But I do want people to understand, I, I totally get that third party is going to be difficult. I totally get that. But what does that say about the system that we're operating in? In case I see you're here too, feel free to chime in whenever you you're ready. Or Karthik too. Yeah. Much love to y'all and Karthik. Yeah, and just um just saw you on, on Twitter. I saw the tweet and I was like, Oh, my buddy Sabs is uh live on calling. Let me jump over there. And I don't was this and you interviewed um Ralph Nader? maybe I, I missed the um the, the episode. Did you interview him? No, tonight what we did is we made the case for third parties and what we okay. did was um I went back through an interview that Ralph Nader had on Democracy Now, uh, and he was he was talking about both sides of it, which I thought is fair. I think if we're going to talk about it, we need to talk about the pros and the cons of both. And Ralph Nader had some interesting points. Like he was just like in reference to the Justice Democrat strategy, Bernie Sanders did not continue his movement. Instead, he just told people to to vote for Hillary Clinton or vote for Joe Biden. But Ralph Nader also acknowledged the fact that a difficulty that you have as a third party or independent candidate trying to get that 15% just if you can get on the debate stage. And I think that's where third party and independent candidates can really have a lot of pull because I look at someone like Ross Perot, he got like 18% and he was on the debate stage. And I know people that voted for Ross Perot and Ross Perot, if people say he'll take votes from the Democratic Party, I would argue that Ross Perot took votes away from George Bush Sr. Yeah, totally. I think that mm -hmm. happened as well. And I, I think that um, to have a successful, um, I, I, we had, I think we had the third party summit, right? RBN hosted that um, a, a while ago. And yep. the, the workshop that I did with um, JB was the, the first successful third party, which was, the, which is the Republican party. So for those in the audience or those who don't know, the Republican Party was a third party um, years ago and how they were successful. They had people outside of um, Congress that were supporting the Republican Party, but it wasn't until people in both the Whigs and the Democratic Party at the time, they were already Democrats and Whigs, but then they changed over to Republicans. So I think that is a strategy that I don't think I hear about very often that you would um, be get elected as a major party and then declare that you're a third party. 
Um, that's just an idea. I know we really hate, you know, the Democrat. I hear you guys all the time hate running within the, the parties, but that is a um, strategy that I, I don't really hear too often out there too much, too much. That's a Did good you say that like you should run Democrat and then like once you get elected, then you should like become an independent. I didn't hear what you said exactly. Yeah, that's basically our, our, our maybe there it would have to be. Uh, I would think in my personal opinion, it would have to be a party that's already has a certain amount of infrastructure. So it would literally be as if AOC said, hey, I'm declaring I'm a Green Party candidate or, or not candidate, but I'm a Green Party person right now moving forward. And just imagine that for a moment, guys. I know how much we hate the, um, you know, running as a Democrat, but if she and maybe even, um, or let's not, you know, she gets a lot of hate as well. So let's just put somebody else in there, like anybody who's a Democrat, a no-name person, they switch over to becoming a Green Party. Then three other people, maybe one person from the Republican Party, say we're five people from the Green Party, and we're going to, we're not a Democrat, we're not a Republican anymore, so we're not um, at their whelm. You know, we don't care about almost like Marjorie Taylor Greene, how they took away all her, um, you know, um, leadership and all her. I forgot what it's called again when you're on the committees. Um, she doesn't care. She seems to be thriving, even not being on the committee. So I think that would be a very interesting strategy if um, people said, hey, this is exactly what I'm going to do. But of course, if they say that beforehand, it's going to make them really hard um, to, to get in there because a lot of like, let's say Democrats. If you say, hey, I'm running as a Democrat, but I'm going to switch over to the Green Party, that's a certain amount of percentage of people are just not going to vote for you. So it'll have to be like on the low. But anyway, I talked enough. Uh, yeah, I actually think that's a great idea. Like, I just don't know how that would be executed because like, it seems like as soon as you get into office, like uh, the party has like so many um, uh, levers and maneuvers of trying to like like end your career if you do try to like leave or you know any opposing them anyway but yeah i i thought i thought of that before too case and that's that sounds like a great idea if it were to be executed so i'm definitely oh, not against it just to be clear thank you so much What'd that's you think, another Sarah? thing that's another thing that um uh, brie brought this up on uh on our bad faith interview and the only question i had is like it's a it's a tricky situation because someone can say that and then not follow through or Someone can say that, and then that may turn off people who only want to support the Justice Democrat strategy. And they may say, well, if if that's what they're going to do, then I don't support them. So it's, it's a tricky situation to be in, right? Because it's like, if you choose to do that, do you announce that to people up front and risk like being shunned or ridiculed by people? Or do you not announce it and risk losing support by people who want to support third party? And then you do the flip and then you lose the people who want to support the progressive Democrat strategy. Would people be upset with you? So it's, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky spot to be in. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. It's very tricky because if you say ahead of time, Hey, I'm running as a Democrat, but as soon as I get in there, switching over to the green party. Now all the people in the democratic primary are saying, Oh, he's not a real Democrat or he or she is not a real Democrat. He or she, it's going to switch over, don't vote. And as much as support as you're going to have, that's going to shave off a certain amount, like maybe 5% of support, even though you, you might have been on your way to winning. But as soon as you say that, but then you get a lot of credibility amongst the 
the um I hate to say radical left, but like the real the leftists that are not um enfranchised with electoral politics, right? So I think like me, I I would definitely be interested in seeing something like that. I think in I'm not gonna speak for you, Savs, but I think uh, I'm curious to know if you would be enthusiastic about somebody declaring that beforehand, saying, Hey, I'm gonna just I'm literally just doing this to get in there and then I'm gonna switch over to the Green Party. And then like you said, the second side of that would be not to say anything, run hard as a progressive Democrat, keep it on the low, and then as soon as you get in there, as soon as you like be there for a week and say, ah, I've saw enough and I'm switching back, I'm switching over to the Green Party. What you think, Sabs? Would you be enthusiastic about the first side of that? Honestly, like probably not because the thing is, is like, I want someone that has the, that has the, the cojones to run as third party independent right out the gate. I want someone that's going to be able to take that kind of criticism. They're going to get a lot of criticism as you run as a third party or independent candidate. But my thing is, it's like, I can't imagine someone doing that and then saying, okay, I'm going to run as a green. I'm not sure the green party would be okay with that. The Green Party might look at that as though, well, you don't get to have us as a backup. <laughs> They're like, we can't be your your backup mm-hmm. option. Like, mm-hmm. you're you're with us first, or mm-hmm. you're not with us at all. <laughs> I, I don't see it as a backup. I see it as a Trojan horse more than a backup. You know, it's more like, hey, I'm with you guys, but I'm only doing this strategy only literally as a strategy. But I, I totally respect um, that, you know, you're looking for somebody literally as a third party. I think if you're going to run literally as a third party, there has to be an infrastructure from the very, very, very ground up. Like you really have to build up. Um, I don't know if Green Party does mutual aid, but it, it will have to be you building up a coalition amongst people who consider themselves conservative, people who consider themselves. It, oh, let me say this word, working class. So I think that that really encapsulates um, who you're trying to get, because, you know, you could be conservative or you could be a leftist and cons- and be a working class. And then you got to build a mutual aid organization showing, hey, I can I will do something for you even outside of electoral politics. So by the time you get there um, to get their trust, then you say, hey, you know, I'm running for office, then you can potentially let's let's say um as a green party you could you could probably hopefully get in there i i, I will see what matthew ho how successful he is with his senate campaign and mm-hmm. hopefully uh yeah he he's pretty successful we'll see that's right uh karthik did you have anything else i want to got a line of callers here well so yeah i just wanted sure to say one more thing about the um the strategy that case shadow about like winning and then like becoming independent or some other third party. Um, I, I said, I think it's a great strategy, but it just seems like if they did that, you know, they would lose their book deals or their speaking gigs or their, you know, GQ covers, mm. which, which obviously like I, I, I'm against all that, but, but obviously like, it seems like the politicians uh, love doing those kind of uh, gigs that pay, I don't know, 50, hundred thousand, whatever it is. But see, you can get those gigs without, being a, a a Democrat politician, like Ralph Nader has written books. Um, he has speaking engagements that he's done as well. So you, you can still get that. Um, but it's, I guess it's not necessarily guaranteed. Uh, or as high profile. Cause like, I'm sure let's say that like, like I'll say like uh, uh, AOC decided to do that on, on her first day or first month, first year in 2019. 
like I'm sure because like Nancy Pelosi or whoever like has like because Pelosi has so many connections, you know, she probably would have destroyed her chances of becoming as like famous or as wealthy as she's become now. That's a good point. I mean, uh, imagine if all of the the Justice Democrats, imagine if all of them band together and said, you know what, we're here right now in the House, but while we're here, let's try to start up some type of third party. Yeah, because like, I think that was like was supposed to be one of the purposes of Justice Democrats. It was either supposed to be yeah. that or actually like form like outside movements or like actually like grassroots or mutual aid because right. like, because because I, I i i was a huge donator to justice democrats in the beginning because like i used to be a big fan of tyt and kaya kalinsky and i thought that was one of their purposes but you know a lot of things things change so we did go over that yeah i think that um real quick sabs and then i we could probably go to cold but um i really agree with you guys as far as when how do you trust candidates when they get into um, office, like you work so hard for them, they say whatever they want to say, and then they get in there and it's like they just do their own thing and they, you just lose them. Like especially like Cory Bush, I think I heard I was watching RBN and they were saying like if our if Cory Bush could get co-op, then there's no hope. And I was like, man, I totally agree with that. Yeah, and and to that point, um, but thanks so much, Karthik. I'm gonna make sure I bring um, Marco. Uh, in here next, we did go over the announcement of Justice Democrats tonight and Humanist Report went through the policies and he said that they signed a pledge. And this was something that I had either forgotten about or was not aware of, I can't remember. But in that video, he said how they signed a pledge that he said, we know that they're going to do this because they signed a pledge. And one of one of the uh, the items that was a part of that was that they would not be for uh, war. And we see that they voted to give money to like to to these war efforts. Right. But that was a part of the pledge that they signed. So that's why tonight I said, let's go back to the very beginning to when they announced it, Justice Democrats, to see what went wrong here. So if they sign that pledge that Humanist Report uh, was referring to, and they, they're not following the pledge that they signed. It's like, okay, like we had them sign something, but we have no access to them now. They're already in DC, they're already gone. So there's no way to hold them accountable, except for calling them out, like on your shows and things like that. But other than that, we have no access to them. So he said that they signed a pledge and he said, we know that they're going to fight for these, these policies because they signed this pledge. So that was something that was brought up. And another thing that was mentioned in that video as well was that there was supposed to be some type of third party movement to go along with that. And that piece was never implemented. So when the squad goes to DC and they choose not to, to use their leverage and fight for those policies or push back against policies that go against that pledge that they signed there was no backup plan there was you couldn't fall back on that third party to come in and fill that gap and i think that's why we are where we are now i'm gonna go ahead and um bring in marco you're the next caller yeah thanks Abby. big fan i've talked to you before um 
my comments on all of this, uh, you know, like I voted for Ralph Nader, I voted for Jill Stein. And when the cops came to Ralph Nader to take him away from the debates, he caved and he walked away without getting arrested. And Jill didn't. Jill got arrested. Jill also um, graffitied one of the uh, bulldozers at Standing Rock when the activists asked her to. So like, I love Ralph Nader, but Jill Stein is way cooler than Ralph Nader. I just, I love Jill. Uh, yeah, Jill really, the... really fought back there. I think like Ralph Nader ran like four times. Uh, I think he ran three times, but yeah. Hmm. Uh, my comment too on, on third party stuff. Uh, a third party that isn't grassroots, that doesn't have the people behind it will fail. And that's why the Green Party has failed. Not because the Green Party is bad. You know, they're doing their best against a juggernaut. But like Kashama Sawant, Socialist Alternative is an example of how what the people, the people pick their leader. Kashama didn't even want to run for office. Mm -hmm. So we, if we're going to have a third party that challenges the, the, the major parties, we, it's got to be a grassroots party based on the workers seizing the means of production. Because the closest the Socialist Party ever got was in 1912 with Eugene Debs, and they got 6% of the national election. They got that because the workers were seizing the means of production. This was the time when the union movement and the cooperative movement were, were united. I don't know if a lot, a lot of people don't know this, but the Knights of Labor, the first union in the United States was a union that meant to create worker cooperatives to seize the means of production and abolish capitalism. That's where the union movement began. We need to go back to that and build that strategy up again and build a dual power. Marco, that is such a good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. I forgot about that, about the Knights of Labor. You're right. Like, technically, they were further to the left than what we have right now. And they were the biggest labor union of U.S. history. Why? Because they were the furthest to the left. The American people are the left. We are the proletariat. We want universal programs. We want the end of capitalism. Mm. That's well said, Marco. You have like a, a very good point. There's something you said there too about the people selecting who should run and not the individual. And I want us to point to Shama Sawant because she is a good example of this. And when I, I interviewed her, she told me she didn't want to run. She was very honest about it. But because it's a Marxist organization, the group decides who is the best to do the job, not the person that necessarily wants to be a politician. And it's I like think- at your jobs, like every job I've ever had, the best managers were people who didn't want to be the fucking manager. Yes. Because oh power God. corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Therefore, the only ethical thing to do with power is to use it to dissolve it. So if you seek power because you want to wield it, you're evil. If you seek power in order to destroy it, you're good. That's right. That's right. And like for people who don't know, because like Jill Stein is, is local here uh, in Massachusetts to me. Jill Stein did not want to be a politician. Like she'll tell you that firsthand. She was a doctor. So it's not like 
this is something she had she like oh i want to be like this famous like politician or whatever like no she she didn't want to do it but it was because she cared so much about the issues the grassroots uh issues and that's why she ran for office um i would really like to see her do something local here like imagine if jill stein was like my governor like our governor that we have now he's bowing out deuce tapped out but i think that it's also important that when we talk about the case for third parties and we talk about the justice democrat strategy that we also make a point not to just focus on the national level but also the local level and a lot of times when i hear people talk about third parties it's only on the national level Whereas on the local level, Green Party members have won positions. Independents have won positions. I've interviewed uh, a mayor of Illinois who's Green Party. I I interviewed him recently and he became mayor. And so there's uh, other people that I've interviewed that on the local level, they have been able to win. So I think the question that we need to start asking is, why is the focus so much primarily on national politics instead of local? when we can see that yeah. the people actually have more power on the local level than we do through national politics. Well, okay, so Savvy, to answer your question. So it, for the Green Party, in order for them to retain ballot access, they have to run a presidential candidate. Otherwise, you're not a national party, you're a state party. So in order for the Green Party to be the Green Party, they have to run a national uh, 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 a candidate for every office, including president. So there's like a lot of third parties who are smaller and more state. Like in my state, we have the local families party, the socialist party, um, the reform party who are statewide parties, but not national parties. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So, so once you become a national party, you have to run every position in the ballot, which is why the green party struggles because they can't afford it. You know, uh, I, took, I was at a green party campaign finance meeting cause I'm a, a PAC treasurer. And they were talking about how every election cycle, the Green Party has $200,000 to run for the candidate, for the president. And then Jill Stein brought in $800,000 herself. Mm -hmm. So she ran a million dollar campaign because she had the money herself. So like, where's the money gonna come from? The money's gotta come from worker co-ops. It's gotta come from the people walking away from their capitalists using their means of production that they can do themselves with their labor in their business and then use the profits of that business to fund whatever they want politically. That's a good point. That's yeah. I think, you know, the funding ultimately is a big problem for everybody, basically, right? Anybody that's running grassroots and is not going to take corporate money. The funding issue is a problem. And I would say uh, one of the things that I've noticed Look, we raised, we had a goal for JB for mutual aid on RBN because JB needs to secure his housing. We were able to raise over $5,000 for JB uh, rather quickly, actually. So I think the money is out there. It's just a matter of getting to those people who are willing to donate the money and, and reaching those people. And this is where I say, in case, feel free to jump in here. This is why I say it's really important that independent media, we have to give third party and independent candidates a platform because if we don't, then we're basically no better than mainstream media. Mainstream media already ignores them or if they get to the 5% like they did Jill Stein. So we have to give them a platform. 
No, I totally agree with you. Um, that's something that I've been disappointed um, in the past that larger media, independent media, with their um, having a, a, a studio and things of that nature, haven't leaned in to um, having more third-party debates because I think they could be more, a lot more fruitful. And um, I think even Harlan's Media has had debates in the past and i think that um we got to lean into that because debates that's where ideas come from you know new green new deal uh etc new ideas come from debates and and then also debates are very interesting to me personally um as a political junkie and i think it can be a way of getting normies to become political junkies. I remember in my infancy of not knowing a lot about politics, I remember watching The Daily Show. And I'm like, this show is so horrible, so whack. I can't I can't follow this. But then when <laughs> I became a political junkie and I went back and watched it, I, I could get the jokes more because I knew different senators. I knew the references that um, Jon Stewart was making at the time. And I think that when you watch debates, it could be at that, is that is at a level where you can kind of understand hey, okay, Medicare for all, that applies to me. I know what Medicare for all, like simple um, terms like that comes out of those debates and then it can grow from there. That interest kind of just tugs at you until you start diving deeper and deeper and then you start watching. Let's say Harlan's Media does a debate. They'll say, okay, I like this channel. Let me continue watching this channel or even RBN. Oh, I like Sabs. You know, let me check out her other episodes. That's I think that's an entryway of getting people who are not normally into politics can get into politics. So I totally agree with you. Very good point, Case. Uh, Marco, what do you think about that? Third party debates? Yeah, so the third party debates used to be run by the League of Women Voters. Yep. And now it's run by the Democrat and Republican parties. So we need to abolish the that those that institution one way or another, whether or not we stop watching the debates, we hold our own debates, but it's a corrupt institution that's been captured. That's a good point. That's a good point. It's like, you can't join the mafia and make them better. <laughs> you got to run the mafia out of town by replacing what they do for people, by giving protection to the people who the mafia has, has like hold over. That's a good point, Marco. And I, I think there's just, there's so much, oh my gosh, there's so much to discuss here. It's just that I wonder what it would have been like if that third party element was implemented as a part of Justice Democrats. We might be having a different conversation today. Here's the thing is that that was a smokescreen. They threw that up so that you wouldn't fight them. They had no intention of ever doing it. Um, it was a grift. Because mm. that's how these gangsters work. The The New Deal was a deal with the devil. It was a deal with the gangster. The, the, the socialist parties, the communist party were seizing the means of production. Without the means of production, the capitalist class cannot control the people. So they diffuse us by giving us a deal. They made a deal with us. And we took the deal when we shouldn't have. We should have been. That's what this was. It was like a deal. Look, we'll fight for third parties, but we'll also go into the, into the Democrat party. 
a failed strategy. It was a fucking grift. Wow. Well, that's that's interesting because like tonight they did say um, on that video by Humanist Report, he did say uh, there was a segment from Kyle and Kyle said that, look, we're not against the Green Party. We're not against third parties. We understand that it's the the structure, right, that's in place that makes it difficult for them to have uh, a viable chance. But he said that we consider you guys to be our allies. And so I'm like, well, if you consider if that that's what they said back then, like, honestly, if you watch that video, it's like night and day, like compared to now. So if and they consider that's how you sniff out a lie. That's how you know Kyle was lying when he said it. Because you don't listen to people based on their rhetoric. You listen to them based on their actions or on their voting record. What does it matter what AOC says when she votes the same as uh, what's his name? Crowley. If she does the exact same votes as Crowley, she's the same thing. Same thing with Jamal Boltman. If he's yeah. doing the same thing, he's supporting Israel just like Elliot Engel yeah. did. And that's the thing, right? Power corrupts. So like you have to go into a position of power with the intention to destroy it. That's right. And when somebody shows us through their actions that when they took power, they didn't just like in the, okay, this is a bit weird, but in the Lord of the Rings, there are a lot of people who got their hands on the ring. And some of them kept it, and some of them didn't keep it. Marco, you're talking about my movie, man. I love <laughs> Lord of the Rings. I love okay, it. Oh okay, my okay. God. Well, let me go off then. Okay, so Faramir, in the movie, he keeps Frodo as a, as a prisoner because he wants to give the ring to Denethor. That's not how it was. Faramir, when he learned Frodo had the ring, and he learned that the ring destroyed his brother, he gave it up. He said, you go, Frodo. Get out of here. Godspeed. Not everybody who's given power will wield it for evil. Most people will, but there are people who won't. And when people say they won't and then they do, don't trust them. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to get your, your opinion about that. I don't know. Have you seen Lord of the Rings? Case? No. <laughs> you know what's funny? That, that, is a movie that I have not. I'm a Star, Star Wars guy. I, th I think I feel like I tried Lord of the Rings and I couldn't, I didn't get into it. Maybe I'll try it again just because you guys bring it up again. But um, my my opinion, I'm I'm just curious, um, Marco, if if I don't know if you have any connections to Justice Democrats that you have any inside knowledge on on that, like that it was a grift, or I would be curious if uh, Zanab, I believe she's someone that actually worked very closely with them to have like firsthand knowledge because. Um, I think that's that would be very disappointed if that's the case that they really knew that they were not going to fulfill that part of the you know contract that they were making but um I, I yeah I totally agree with you all in the sense that a politician or a candidate somebody running for office should be somebody who do, does not want to be a politician like if somebody if I'm, if you're in an organization and we're doing mutual aid and you're like hey you know you have charisma you know how to articulate the policies hey do you want to be a candidate they say nah nah i would never i don't want to be involved okay everybody let's get this person to be to run to office like, that's the exact person we want you know but i agree with you all on that yeah you know david graber in his newest book which was published posthumously uh posthumously is he was talking about how in a lot of indigenous societies people would have leaders without um, authority 
what is a leader who is not an authority figure? It's, it's an organizer. It's somebody who you follow because their ideas convince you to follow them. If, if Malcolm X said something I don't like, I don't have to follow him. I have no obedience to him. I have no obedience to Jill Stein. I have no obedience to anybody who I follow. And that's the way it should be. We need to create society where there is no obedience and yet we still have organization where some people make sure that the people who are too disabled to work get help. That's a good point. That's a good point. Marco, thank you so much for calling in. You've yeah, been here. I will always say that, um, especially moving forward, because I see the fruit of this. Whenever uh, our progressive candidates or anybody left this running for office that we support, whether third party or whatever, they need to commit to saying, after I get elected, I promise and I pledge to come on a third uh, independent media once a month once a quarter but it has to be on a regular basis on a consistent basis so that they can be held accountable to the people that's a good point case case is uh case is being uh fierce there in a nice way <laughs> case is saying look <laughs> you no. guys stop coming on in media <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, We've um, had a lot of experience like since 2016 and we've ran ex um, experiments and it's like, I'm just refining, like every time we, we fail, I'm like refining my, um, what's the word, either litmus test or my demands. And that's what we need to do with these politicians. We got to have a strong demand on these guys. Yeah. Well said case. I'm going to bring in Colin. You are on the mic. Hey, sorry about that. Hey, Colin, how's it going? Oh, Colin, my man, what's up? What's up, Case? How you doing? I can't, I can't complain. Anytime I'm strategizing with Sabrina and my man Colin, I'm having a good time. <laughs> I won't keep you guys long because actually I have to prep for my show for tomorrow night. But I said this in the chat. Um, and I actually had to check this just to make sure I wasn't, you know, dreaming this or thinking this in the wrong way. But remember back in 2016, Trump actually threatened to go independent, right? Like he said, because he was threatening to go independent because, you know, because the Republican establishment basically, you know, was for all intents and purposes making fun of him. And he basically said, you know, like, keep this up. I'm going to run for a party and I'm taking the people who are following me with me, you know. So my question is now, granted, I'm sure Trump probably said that as, you know, calling that bluff. But given that, if Trump was able to have at least the balls to at least to say that, what's that that say for like Bernie and the squad who now are so in deep, knee deep in the establishment that is the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party is not doing them any favors right now, you know, and they can't say the same thing. You know, like I, the way that you're treating us as a block 
we will start our own third party apart from the Democratic Party. So it just kind of goes to question the motives that especially the squad has, well, justice Democrats, that they're not able to say that, but Trump had the balls to say that. I think the difference was that Trump wasn't a politician. So he still has some all back on. Like if this run didn't work out for him, he could just go back to managing his businesses, which he, you know, he was a businessman. So it wasn't a lose situation for him. Whereas the others were trying to be uh, politicians or Bernie was already a politician. So I think that could be part of the problem. Um, But I did forget that he did say that, you know, Trump said so many things during the time. Like I was just like, I don't know if I believe this guy or not. I don't know what he's talking about half the time. Um, But right. Like he did have, like the guts to to say something like that, but he also didn't have anything to lose. Uh, we got Zineb here on the call. Zineb, I want to bring you in because you were a part of Justice Democrats. And tonight we talked about how, and I totally forgotten, but we had talked about, we showed a clip from Humanist Report when Justice Democrats was first announced. And he mentioned how a third party movement that was supposed to be a part of that strategy and that piece was never uh, implemented he also said that they signed a pledge. He said, we know they're going to push for these policies because they signed this pledge. And one of the items on the list was to not support war. And we've seen that they've been supporting uh, legislation for war. And I want to get your take on this. I think you just have to mute. Yay, Zineb is in the building. We got to try to get um, Zineb to unmute. It could be the app. Oh, man. Oh, there you go. There you go. Or that was you, because I heard you say, oh, man. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah. 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 Oh, the app's being glitchy. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Sabi. There's a um so there was uh actually a 90 page um pol- policy that they signed on to, but there's a little bit of a difference there. I think they're creating brand new Congress and Justice Democrats. Because Justice Democrats, they really didn't have the same kind of values. I mean, they brought Pramila Jayapal and Rokana on right away. You know, and um, we were some of us were like, what the hell? And then Rokana endorsed Joe Manchin while Paula Jean was running in 2018. And of course, that did not go over well with any of the brand new Congress candidates. So there was overlap there. But at brand new Congress, they signed a um, they signed promissory. And one of the things that they agreed to was not to support war. And one of the things one of the main tenants of brand new Congress was for us to hold accountability. Hell, I wrote it into our mission statement and it was there. And that was the big thing. That was the big selling point, you know, was that when they get to Congress, we're going to raise hell. If they don't do what they're supposed to do, we're going to stand against them if we have to, even if it's candidates that we supported, because this is more than an endorsing agency, right? We're supposed to support third party candidates, independents, um, We even had a progressive Republican run, but they, as every system does, they let all of that go. And I know, Sabi, you and I've talked about middle seat and how they're doing the messaging and marketing and talking points for these candidates now. 
and now they're voting. Hell, I just saw yesterday, I don't know if you guys saw it, where Cori Bush was like celebrating getting her book. That's today. Yeah, yeah. And Cori's like, um, you know, in the post it said something like a dream of 30 years. And I was like, what the hell, Cori? <laughs> like, what is this nonsense? You you've been dreaming about an autobiography? Like, where's your where's your housing? That well, Colin, you sat on the steps with me and we talked about this when you were there. Corey right. and she rolled out that piece of legislation. She could have fought for it. And then now they're fighting to fund Ukraine. And, you know, AOC's fight given, you know, funding to the to the Golden Dome and they're funding our immigration system. They're funding DHS. You know, what the hell? They were supposed to be for abolish ICE. And then there's no apparatus. There's no Justice Democrats or brand new Congress who recruited some of these candidates and got them into office that are willing to actually challenge them on anything that they're doing. There's zero accountability. But you're right. They did sign a pledge and they were supposed to hold each other accountable to that pledge. But there is zero accountability. They might as well just ran as Democrats and these PACs might as well not even exist. So I think that kind of goes along with what Marco before me was saying, you know, it just seems like a huge grift in the sense of they never really intended to do the things that, you know, that they sell to do. And as I jokingly said in the chat, like, do you really trust Jenk to, to keep them accountable? Like, as far as writing a pledge, like, I remember, like, on TYT, like, when I did watch it, like, he had... Elizabeth Warren on, and he went on this tirade of like having people who are considered aggressive progressives sign like five things or whatever, you know, like that they will do like in office or whatever. And Elizabeth was didn't sign it like right then and there on that episode. Um, so, you know, so it just seemed like you know it's one thing to sign something; it's another thing to actually abide by what you signed and actually do it. And yeah, I just think, yeah, the accountability is not there. But uh, but my last thing before I go, and just and again, like Marco took all of my good points, you know, but I think what he said, you know, in terms of, like I hear like people say, oh, a third part, like I think just more on a national thing on level, like, oh, it's a good idea, but it, that's hard and it's not viable right now. So we can't do it. Just because something is not viable now doesn't mean it shouldn't be done, you know? And I think, as he said, it's gonna, it needs to be a grassroots approach where if we're thinking of it in terms of, like, um, organizing, meaning the idea of taking power away from the establishment, that's what we should be using that third party for is... We know we onto your game as far as the establishment chooses who they want in terms of president, whoever in leadership of, in leadership of power, and we are going to have to say so of who is going, you know, into office in terms of like third party and who that nominee should be. And so I feel like that's something. And I think again with Trump saying, "I will, I will threaten to start a third party if." you don't back off that really should have been the catalyst to start having more of those conversations now in terms of what would it take to have a viable third party now but people are just kind of like oh it's so hard you know and it's it's like so we can't do it because it's going to take a lot of work well well let's start 
you know, if no one's saying that it was going to happen within the next election cycle, but that's not to say that there shouldn't be some movement towards it. But I think it's going to take a lot of courage, I think, from us that our politicians said that they would, but, you know, that they haven't shown any courage to push towards that. So that has to be on us to actually make that push. Um, and yeah, so I just feel like it, we need to have start, start talking more about it just so like it becomes more within our lexicon of having that as a, poss- as a possibility versus just dismissing it because we don't have it on a national level right now. Oh, sorry, I was muted. Um, I said that's a good point, Colin. Uh, Case, I want to get your your. It seems like there seems to be like the brand new Congress and Justice Democrats, which I, I did not know that Rokana endorsed Joe Manchin. So he's partly to blame for the reason why we have him there right now. Like, why would you endorse him over Paula Jean Swearingen if you're a part of Justice Democrats? We saw Rokana was uh, problematic from the time when AOC. <laughs> was running against Joe Crowley and he endorsed Joe Crowley at first and he became a just so before that he became a justice democrat he was he did what we want some somebody to do where they declare themselves as a green party but it will be a total break he was a democrat already in office we, they never had a justice democrat in office and then he he, he decided to champion and, and join the justice democrat which is extremely you know if i was part of the organization at that time i would be extremely excited because like okay wow we didn't have to work hard to get somebody in there somebody is championing our organization but then how can you consider yourself champion the organization when you went and endorsed against the same organization when he endorsed crowley and it's at least one thing got to give credit to rokana is that he he's somebody that does have his ear to the ground he does um, he's been on your show. He's been on many shows. He's very open to going to different shows that he was receptive when people called him out on this. And then he did an, a, a dual endorsement. Which I've never heard of a dual endorsement. He just admitted that for the first time, um, having a dual endorsement, which um, I would rather you not uh, do the dual endorsement than just endorse against, um, just endorse Crowley. You know, so at least... He kind of made, uh, you know, amends, but I didn't even know that he endorsed um, Joe Manchin. That's that's something I think kind of new to me. That's that's very disappointing. And then as far as brand new Congress, I think Zanab could give more clarity. But from what I understand, brand new Congress was out there first. They they created that organization first. Um, Charles Chakabate, he was part of that organization first, and then um, he met Jenk. And and they created a, a branch of a brand new Congress, which was uh, Jenk, and then Jenk got um, Kyle involved, and they were going to be the media side, uh, Chakrabarty, and um, people from brand new Congress. They yep. formed Justice Democrat, so it was kind of brand new Congress first, and then it morphed into a separate organization altogether. Brand well, I would say it's a mm-hmm. little different than that. That's really really close case, but. 
what happened was um, they partnered with Jank on Justice Democrats. Jank was and was doing that with Kyle Polinsky. So they mm. kind of launched it with them. But Zach Exley and Corbin Trent and uh, Isra Allison and um, and and a few others. You know, we had some that Alex Rojas who went on to work for Justice Democrats. But Justice Democrats was the money behind it because they were able to platform. I mean, Justice Democrats had already been taking money in. But Jank was on the board. Then when they brought AOC on, they put her on Justice Democrats board and nobody knew it. We didn't know it. I never sat in JD's board meetings, but I did sit in a lot of BNC. BNC and JD, mm. I know Johnny says that they were wanting the same. That's actually not true. They were two separate mm -hmm. organizations, but we were a little too blended before the PAC split. After the PAC split, we were completely separate. Mm -hmm. And then they actually said that um, we were, that the brand new Congress was quote unquote absorbed by Justice Democrats, Democrat. which isn't even true. There were only three of us left at brand new Congress. Justice Democrats abandoned all the rest of their candidates to campaign for AOC alone, and none of the rest of the, the brand new Congress and Justice Democrats kind of combined candidates. So we had to pick up the slack, three of us, 37 campaigns. It was insanity. Um, trying to pick up the slack while Justice Democrats had all the money, if that makes any sense. And then... Um, the next time around, things got a little bit better at Brand New Congress. We were able to provide some more support. But at the same time, at that point, there started to be a shift, like a grifting shift, where some members of the board and some of the people there wanted to provide less help to the candidates because donating money to candidates don't do nothing. When a PAC donates $3,000, that doesn't mean crap. But if, the, if a PAC or an organization is helping with organizing, making phone calls, knocking doors. Those were the things that we were supposed to be doing. That's huge help, training the staff, you know, so that they can be ready, giving them the tools that they need. That kind of help is, is um, not tangential. You know, it, it's it's real material help. Um, BNC went completely away from that. That's why I ended up having issues with BNC. They ended up letting me go because um, there were several of us that tried to we brought a petition to the board and we tried to get them to fix that. And instead of fixing that, they removed us. And then actually one of the people who was the board chair, she took my job and, and the people that took my job are paying themselves more than I ever made there. So it's really interesting. But there is uh, there's just the grifting and all that they are now. They don't really help candidates at all. They're just an endorsing agency. They don't do any groundwork. They don't do any field work. They don't provide any tools. They don't even do any training anymore. So they're really nothing. But JD and BNC are, were two separate things. They were different. Even though there were close ties when it was founded, there was a pack split and it was completely different people that really founded BNC and got it running and going. But like I said, the shit libs, excuse my language, took it over. And they brought it. I saw an article yesterday where Adrian Bell, the executive director, was talking about how hard it was for the black, you know, the, the Congressional Black Caucus are rooted in their old ways. And she prays that they'll do better. And I'm like, are you serious? We've given the CBC so much crap when I worked at Brand New Congress about them not doing enough. And she's just like, I'll pray for them. They need to work hard for the party. Well, we were supposed to be postpartisan non-party political we weren't supposed to be supporting a party we were supposed to be breaking the duopoly so now they've went to full-on democratic establishment 
which is what happens to all these organizations. Our Revolution, Indivisible, all these PACs have done that. They basically, Working Families Party, they're all absorbed by the Democratic Party. I think maybe the only one that hasn't been completely absorbed is like the DSA, and that's really it. The rest of them are all absorbed, at least on the left. My, my question, if you don't mind me asking uh, Sabrina to Zena, is, is it Zena or Zainab? Zena, first question. Either it's either Zainab or Zena, but you can just call me Zena. <laughs> Zayna, okay. Um, so Zayna, uh, do you think it's strictly the money? Because what I can imagine is that with Working Families Party, they get a certain amount of money. From what I understand, it, I'm here in New Jersey, they're in New York, and they also have a New Jersey chapter. I don't know too much, but I know the New York chapter they used to get, they were really close to the unions. And I think they used to get money from the unions. And they, they um, I remember when Cuomo was the governor, and he uh, got into beef with... Uh, with Working Families Party, and I think the union stopped their support, meaning that their money wasn't going to Working Families Party anymore. So I'm sure that affected them to a certain extent. Do you think these organizations get corrupted strictly because they start relying on the money that comes from being on a Democratic side? Mm. You know, I don't think so. I, I don't think that that's it, really. Um, I think that's part of it for sure. There's there's like a grift, you know, and it's it's a little bit more abstract than that. It's kind of like our media, you know, the mainstream media. It's more abstract, you know. Um, in so like I was, Sabby and I have talked about middle seed. I'm about to to actually I'm launching um, Bullhorn um, Bulletin, which is like a, a new news site that I'll be launching this week. And um, on Thursday, I'll be doing a whole story about this. But I'm going to be talking about how candidates and these organizations, how they funnel money into the machine. So even if they're not taking corporate donations, they will funnel money to their buddies. There's access, you know, and then there's there's access to famous people. You know, that was part of the problem at Brand New Congress was that, oh, now we can't make Corey mad because now she's famous. AOC got so famous and we never anticipated any of that. So... <coughs> We can't we can't scrutinize Alex, even though I was mad at her about things that I felt like we needed to call her out on because <coughs> people wanted access to her. Right. And then they wanted access so that they could be close to power. It's some it's ego, too, in part, you know, being close to those famous people who, you know, being close to the power, like and profiting off of it. Middle seat, this this group that's like a communications apparatus does the messaging for all, almost all Justice Democrats candidates, Justice Democrats, Charles Booker, like a ton of people, Beto O'Rourke. And now I think they're up to almost $75 million <coughs> that they've made since 2018. $75 million, almost all small dollar candidates. So they didn't take that corporate money, but these candidates, one of the candidates I saw paid like $4 million, I believe it was, to this apparatus that does like their email program and like I used to do this stuff as a volunteer for these campaigns I did their fundraising I did their marketing I helped run their social media and I did it for like 15 campaigns and wasn't getting paid but you can hire locally and have people do all of that stuff and train them and pay someone locally you know sixty thousand dollars for a campaign a living wage a good wage and not pay an outside agency four million dollars for what but it, that agency was founded by two people that were on the Bernie Sanders campaign. 
all the people that founded Justice Democrats and brand new Congress that founded it were from the Bernie campaign. So I call it the Bernie grift, right? Because our revolution and indivisible were also people that came off the Bernie Sanders campaign. There's a Bernie grift. There's even famous podcasters and stuff that came off the Bernie Sanders campaign that are making a ton of money now. So there's like this, this thing, and I'm not talking about somebody like a Nick Cruz who went down and knocked, worked his ass off and knocked doors. I'm talking about, you know, there's some people that are doing this. And these organizations were all founded by people. I mean, even MPP, you know, was was founded by people that came off the Bernie Sanders campaign. And they've capitalized off of this movement and momentum, but they've taken it nowhere. So it's not exactly the money. It's the status. It's the Mm. being close to famous people. It's kind of like accessibility journalism where we don't we might not hold other journalists accountable because we want to have them on our show again. Right. So we might tiptoe around things and it's not even intention. In this case, it is. It's like they, now that Corey's won, they're not going to say anything about Corey. A lot of these organizations aren't. Right. When he does the wrong thing because they want to be close to that power, if that makes any sense. Yeah, gotcha. That, make, that makes sense. Uh, Colin, did you have anything else or? No, I'm good. So but thank you so much for having me on, Sadie. Thanks so much for calling in, Colin. All right, we have Justin, who is actually with the Green Party. So let's hear uh, Justin's take on this about third parties. Hi, Sabrina. Hi, Case. Hi, uh, Zineb. Um, And everybody else listening in, um, thanks for uh, um, taking us, uh, doing, taking this on as a call in tonight, Sabby. And um, yeah, I have lots of things to say on this topic, of course. Um, so a little bit of background um, for people that don't know me. I... I was a delegate for Bernie Sanders in 2016. I was one of the people that walked out of the convention. And um, I truly believe if people had walked out from the Democratic Party at that point in time, which was representing nearly half of the delegates there, um, that and into the Green Party, um, we would be talking in a much different way about the Green Party right now. Right. Um, I strongly believe that. Um, Yeah, I think, uh, what is it, Cornell West said that... um... Was it Cornell West and Chris Hedges? I think they both said that Bernie missed his moment. Oh, totally. I mean, Jill offered him the nomination in 2016. And I think he truly could have beaten both Trump and um, uh, Clinton in 2016, um, running as a Green. Um, So that all being said, um, there's so many things that have come up tonight um, that I want to, you know, um, some of these things that other callers brought up and during your show earlier. that I would like to, to touch on. First of all, um, the most successful third party in U.S. history um, is interesting. Um, I, uh, Marco, I think, was talking about some of the um, like socialist parties in the early 1900s, but um, the most successful party is actually the, the Republican Party. Um, and um, they weren't a party before 1850. Um, and it was because of the, the Whig Party falling apart in two split over the issue of slavery that led to the creation of the Republican Party. And so technically, that is the most successful third party in U.S. history. And Abraham Lincoln was the most successful third party president, uh, presidential candidate winning the presidency. Um, so to those that say that a third party cannot do it, that is not true, uh, has been done. It's just you have to have the right political climate. I think we exist in that climate today. Um, 
the issue isn't slavery necessarily, but it, it is wage slavery, you know, that we live under today. Um, the, um, a couple of other things, um, you know, to, um, based on some of the other comments here, um, you know, case study was talking about the party switch, um, you know, um, you know, getting them in as Democrats and having them switch. I am all for that. We've actually used that here in Maine. Um, so I, I didn't finish my, my story. I, I, I was a Democrat or, Democrat and a delegate for Bernie in 2016. I went to the Green Party in 2017 here in Maine and been working at the state, um, municipal, state, and national level with the Green Party. Um, but um, since I joined the Green Party here in Maine, we've had um, two people that actually switched. Uh, one was a Democrat who switched to Green at the state level, um, the state legislature, and we had um, an independent that switched from um, to Green Party. Um, so that does happen at, from time to time, and it's great when it does. It would be great if we had that at the national level, at the federal level for U.S. House or Senate. Um, but I don't see anybody really, you know, I, I'm up for lobbying these people. I do all the time. Um, but, you know, it's just um, people don't have the political courage to do that, unlike Jill Stein, who has a huge amount of, of uh, political courage. Um, I also, you know, um, want to talk to, um, some of the points you were making, Savvy, about, um, you know, focusing on the local races. And, um, I say also, also the state representative, state legislative races too. Um, you know, breaking, um, into those offices, um, in states all over the country. I mean, we've had occasionally a state representative, um, in different states, um, you know, here in Maine, we've had three or four, um, you know, um, California, I think they've had state reps in Alaska. Um, but we really need a big push into our states, um, I think, at the state level. Um, and you can get people with experience in municipal politics. You know, um, a lot of times those those people are elected in nonpartisan races. So there's not a G next to their name. Um but we can get people elected there and then get them to also later run for, for state representative. And um, a big thing that I'm into is, um, you know, talking about like the people that want to run versus, you know, the people that don't want to run, they should be the ones running. Um, and, you know, I've, I've made this point to you, Savvy, is, you know, getting people that are involved in activism and put them in, the, you know, if, if they're ready and open to it, to run for office. Um, you recently brought on Michael Ortrad, um, Ortrade, um, who is running for state Senate in, um, in um, Connecticut. Great example of this, right? Who is a Black Lives um, Matter um, uh, leader there in his community. You know, um, but I think one of the most important things, and I'll, I'll give it up to, to get some feedback and, you know, have some other conversation on this, but, um, you know, um, we need state by state strategy because every state has different conditions. Um, you know, in some of these municipal races, it's like, or first of all, you know, we have over 50 greens in Maine, um, that are in at the municipal level. Again, those aren't municipal, those aren't partisan races, so they're not as exciting, but we actually have over 50 greens in municipal, um, town council or city council seats, um, or maybe a school board seat. Um, so 
those races are really important. It gives people experience to then step up to the next level. Um, but, um, you know, we really need to have that strategy statewide by state. Um, we do need to run people at the, the federal level as well, but we can't really have successful federal level races unless we're running a lot of municipal level races. And um, overall, the only way we can, like, I see a lot of people saying to vote green, but we can't vote green if there's not a Green Party candidate. And that doesn't happen unless more people join the Green Party. So I encourage people, everybody, if you are thinking about this seriously, join the Green Party of your state, get registered, right? It, it, it means different things in different states. Some states, it's very much like a union and you actually pay dues. Um, in other states, you register with the state and board of, you know, um, that you're, um, you want to be registered with the Green Party. That's the way it is here in Maine. Um, and so there's different, you know, and certain state parties are more involved than others. But, you know, if you want to see a Green Party candidate, if you want to vote Green, you've got to have a Green Party candidate on your ballot. And so to make that happen, you know, the more people that join the Green Party, the more people you're going to find to run for candidate as candidates, um, to recruit candidates. And in some cases, that might mean, mean running the, again at that federal level. Right. So you actually can vote for a green in your state, you know, for United States Senate, like in North Carolina with Matthew Ho. Right. Um, but I'll, I'll leave it for there, um, you know, and um, open to discussing any of these ideas. Up here. Can I ask just some quick questions, Sabs? Yeah, go ahead. I just, yeah, I just want to ask you real quick, Justin, that um, do you think that the Green Party needs a takeover similar to what um, some people have a strategy to? take over the Democratic Party from the left? Do you think the Green Party needs a takeover of like younger people, uh, diversity as far as minorities? Um, and the way the reason why I bring this up is because I was very surprised when I think it was common sense to have Jesse Ventura run as a Green Party and that didn't happen. I heard it was because a lot of the older generation thought it like this is my party and we don't know if he's green enough and that type of rhetoric went on. What do you think, Justin? Well, um, first of all, um, Case, um, it's great to talk with you again. We've talked in the past. I don't know um, if you remember some of those conversations when we were discussing some of these very issues. Um, but in regards to Jesse Ventura and or, and a takeover of the party, I don't think we necessarily need to have a takeover of the party, but we do need more people involved. And, um, you know, being involved at your state level, but also at the national level, right? Um, we have all sorts of different people in the Green Party with different kind of perspectives. We are an eco-socialist party, but we're also a left libertarian party. And we have both types of people involved in the Green Party at different levels. Um, as far as a takeover, you know, it's a very democratically run organization at the national level. We have nine um, co-chairs that really make up the... the um, that administratively kind of run the party. And, um, you know, um, they basically help administer proposals to the National Committee, which is made up of 150 people, representatives from each state, that basically decide, you know, what we want to change on the platform or, um, you know, um, what kind of statements we want to make. And sometimes this, the steering committee members have overset their bounds. But um, getting back to, so take over the party, again, we really just need people getting involved and having a say, you know, and, um, and in regards to Jesse Ventura, so I would tell you that, and this is one of the things I wrote down here is to talk about, you know, the presidential race, somebody 
um, correctly, I think it was Marco again, pointed out that we do need to run a presidential candidate. It's, it's required for some state parties to maintain their party status to run a presidential candidate. Um, I think it, and I've been speaking with some people like uh, recently, they're very interested in running a, a celebrity style candidate for some of these offices and somebody that has, you know, stature and is known. Um, Jesse was absolutely that. And um, I was actually involved at the national level. I was a co-chair for a short period of time um, from end of 2018 to 2020. And I was also on the presidential um, support um, campaign, uh, presidential campaign support committee, PCSC. And um, I was actually one of the Greens and myself and a, a gentleman named Aaron Fox that approached Jesse Ventura about running with the Green Party. And um, I have a lot I can say on that. Uh, Sabby's actually interviewed me about this um, conversation. Um, it's not that the Green Party wasn't ready for Jesse. I believe if Jesse had actually committed to running, which he did not, um, I believe that myself and Aaron Fox and other Greens that were supportive of Jesse could have gotten him the nomination, even though he was very late in the season in, in saying that he would, you know, put his hat in the ring and uh, run for, you know, see about getting the Green Party nomination. Um, I have many, you know, disappointments about the way that went down, um, but I wouldn't hold it against the Green Party members. Um, Jesse did not declare that he wanted to run in for our nomination. And, you know, it would be like, um, you know, um, basically saying, well, just let's just nominate Hillary, you know? Um, she's well known and we like her better. It's undemocratic to just say, okay, well, Jesse wants the nomination. We should just give it to him. Um, you know, that's not democratic. Um, you know, democratic in the good way, you know what I mean? Um, you know, Jesse should have run in the primary, um, to be honest, right? And, um, you know, I think, again, it, the the most important thing that Jesse did not do was he did not file as an FEC, with the FEC as a presidential candidate. If he had, I, I believe a number of Green Party members would have, um, you know, been delegates for him to give him the nomination and he would have beat out Howie, you know, if he had done that simple thing of actually filing to be a candidate for president. Um, but the... The, the fact of the matter is, you know, RT, Russia Today, basically threatened him with his job. They gave him an ultimatum. And he, he said that he could not leave his job because of this health care for his wife, who in Terry was, you know, uh, going to be going through some medical procedures. So it was a very unfortunate set of circumstances. But, you know, I, I was in touch with Jesse um, in 2019 and in 2020 trying to, to get him to run. And he wanted to wait till the last minute. He didn't actually tweet that he was going to put his, um, you know, um, that he was going to run with the Greens, you know, or considering it until like May, April or May of of 2020. And, you know, we'd already had some of our primaries by then. But again, if he had filed as a candidate and said, you know, screw URT, I'm running, um, I believe we would have gotten the, the delegates. So, because um, I think enough Greens would have seen that as an opportunity for the Green Party, you know, not just me. Yeah, for people who are not aware, um, technically, if you have a show, certain shows, like, you may not be able to to run for president and have that show just because some people see it as you're going to be biased when they start talking about the election. 
So that that is a thing. So it's like, and that's any of them, by the way. I mean, I know they're not on RT anymore, but it would have been the same thing if Chris Hedges was still on RT as well. He would probably have had to give up that show in order to run. And, you know, that's a good point because Chris was also thinking about running for um, United States uh, Congress. That's around that same time, Savvy, and was also faced with that ultimatum and just ultimately decided not to run. And he was going to run as a Green as well, too, in New Jersey. Justin, gotcha. I talked to Cornell. Oh, go ahead, Kay, sorry. No, I, I just want to say thank you, Justin, for that information, and uh, good talking to you again. Yeah, I was going to say, Justin, I talked to Cornell West and Chris Hedges about running third party or independent. Chris Hedges was like, uh, no, I think I like where I'm at. But Cornell West said, never say never. Oh, really? Would you reach out? Would you reach out to someone like Cornell West? Because I think if Cornell West would say yes, maybe Chris Hedges could change his mind. Absolutely. I mean, and and just imagine what those two in, in Congress could do. Right. I mean, right. whether for United States Senate or for the House, um, you know, it's it's interesting. Matt Ho is a it's a great race there in North Carolina because mm-hmm. being a gr- one green in the Senate would would make huge waves. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine what they would do in standing up to some of these, you know, bills for for, you know, sending more war- money to Ukraine. Right. I mean, it'd be huge. Um, and show the American people that there is a better option out there with the Green Party. Um, you know, um, and, you know, um, so l- I wanted to talk about this too. You know, again, I, I mentioned it, but we really need states to kind of be knowledgeable and have a st- state-by-state strategy, right? Again, some states are more developed. Some, like in California, you've got basically what are the, the top two primaries, which is not a, an ideal system, but we can, if we strategize around those races like that, we could actually use them to our advantage. Like we had Kenneth Mejia in t- 2018 and um, Rodolfo, um, uh, I'm forgetting Rodolfo's last name. Um, and um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting names now, but um, we had a third candidate, both all of them were running for United States representative in California in 2018. and only running against a Democrat, you know, in the, in the general election. Um, so we, you need, we need to really empower the states to, to know their strategy, know, you know, what their elections are like. Um, you know, I've been talking with people in um, Washington that were originally organizing with the People's Party, but are, but are thinking about realigning with the Greens. And, you know, I want to talk about strategy about, okay, what makes most sense? You know, there's, so it, for instance, in Washington, you can win a mayoral race in a town with like 80 votes, right? Um, but you have to know when those elections are and how to, to get to vote in those elections because they're not held in November. They're held like in the spring. Um, you know, in Maine, that's what our municipal elections are like. Um, and, you know, I mentioned the um, the state rep races and taking like taking seats at the state level, which is huge. Um, it would be if we did that yep. in as many states as possible, that would really be a big big win and um, I have a broken down analysis state by state um, that mm -hmm. I did um, that was looking at something very it was looking at something specific but I was thinking about implementing this at MPP you know I we all know what happened with MPP but um, (laughs) the uh, 
one of the plans was to look at some of these states that are like purple quote unquote states, if that makes any sense. Like these states where the state houses recently flipped. Think about Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio. Um, there's plenty, there's a lot of them. There's like 20 where abhorrent legislation is getting passed right now. Um, Alabama, although Alabama was never blue, Alabama's one example where they just literally passed legislation to roll back the age for marriage consent, I think 13. And at the same time, in the same law, they passed um, laws where you can't file for marital rape. Messed up, what? right? Yeah, I, I'm gonna do a breakdown, Savvy, of all there's some great, like, creepy and scary and horrific legislation getting passed in the states. But you know, um, the uh, what I was thinking and this this whole plan, and I was I was talking to people at the state level, and this is kind of based on like the elections that I'd that I'd helped, you know, is that if we were to get in and let's say we had a block of independents and greens. Um, that won just 15 seats in a state house, that would be enough pressure power to block some of this legislation and to push through some good legislation in these states, especially where this abhorrent legislation is getting passed. And in most of these states that are like purple, like Kentucky, almost all of our voters are independent. They're not aligned with the Democrat or Republican parties. They're highly socially conscious. But they're also slightly more physically conservative, but they still support social programs like Medicare for all and stuff like that. So it's really strange. And I thought that if we could get them in the, the lower barrier, lower hanging fruit, state house races that are easier to organize, easier to door knock for, easier to, to reach voters, had a really good training apparatus for those candidates and support and a support system for fundraising and door knocking has to happen. I've heard some green candidates saying we don't have to door knock. We're not comfortable with that or right. we're not going to call voters. And I'm like, you guys, you have to call voters. You have to door knock. But if we were yeah, to get that 10 percent, 15 percent in a state, I think we could make a huge difference with voting blocks like that throughout the country. Yeah. And, you know, we we really are pushing for candidates to knock on. I don't know which candidates you're talking about, but, you know, um, so, again, it goes back to 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 really having state by state strategies. And um, so a couple things. First of all, uh, you know, a very red state. Right. There's no issue with running a green candidate in those states because the Democratic Party is not even bothered running in some cases. Right. Um, they're run like the Republicans running out of post. You have the same thing in a, a very blue state like Massachusetts or New York, right? No harm in running a green there because a Republican isn't going to, you know, be either running or is not going to stand a chance. That's so, true. Um, and there's a lot of these the state rep races. You can win a state rep race, you know, even though it's a, you know, people say the first past the post, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a winner take all system, whatever, you know, it's, you can win with like 40% in a three-way race and it does get the, the best, the most important thing is knocking on doors. Um, phone, phone banking is important as well. Um, it, but again, it comes down to knowing the different races, like in Washington, again, I was talking with somebody in Washington state. It's like, you need to get like, um, the a winning uh, race is like, around 50 to 60,000 votes. That's a lot for a state rep race um, and in certain city council races. But here in Maine, for instance, it's like 6,000 people, you know, and you need to get like maybe 
4,000 votes for a state rep race win here in Maine. Um, and we have clean elections. Also, you know, talking about the federal level races, in Maine, we have ranked choice voting for those races. That's so true. we had Lisa Savage, who ran as an independent in 20... In, so in 2020, we had Lisa Savage, who was an anti-war candidate, um, who ran as an independent, would have run as a Green if we had been able to get her on the ballot. But there's a lot of barriers to actually qualifying for the ballot at that level here for the Green Party, something I'm working on. Um, but Lisa was an amazing candidate. At, and basically, she was initially running as a Green, had to drop back to an independent. We, she, we got her on the ballot. And she was going to re-register as a Green if she had got elected. And we have ranked choice voting in that race. So, um, you know, pushing for ranked choice voting. Um, you know, I heard talk about mutual aid. We do need to do mutual aid, right? Um, I believe that people should be running for office that have lived experience. And sometimes that's people from marginalized communities that don't have the means necessarily. And some of these offices don't really pay well. Um, a state rep office in Maine, barely like 15000 for the year, 20000 yep. maybe for the year. Um, you know, so we really do need to support these people. Um, right. Like and- a lot of these politicians on the local level, with the accept- exception of like mayor and uh, governor, a lot of these local politicians have another job for people who yeah. are not aware of that. Or, or they're taking money from the corporations, right? And and yeah. getting, you know, yeah, I mean, that's what happens, right? They They're selling out. So, um, you know, I believe that, you know, legislative, uh, you know, serving in a legislative capacity should also give you a living wage. Right. So that's one thing that I'm going to, you know, work with um, people that do get elected, you know, to kind of push for that as well. Um, You know, so. Um, uh, Justin, CR is here. I I added him as a speaker because he had a question uh, specifically for you. Uh, CR, you just have to unmute. Hey, Savvy, fam, how's it going? Hey, Justin. Hello. Hi, how's it going, CR? My question is, it, it's going to sound like I'm trying to stir shit, but I actually, I want like the you the opportunity to kind of clear some of the BS because a lot of what I've been hearing uh, about the last uh, green primary was that it was very rigged. You know what I mean? And that I heard a lot of people crying foul and that they just, they just handed it to Howie Hawkins outright without, you know, uh, that there was a bunch of shenanigans going on. Now, again, this is, you know, just the stuff that I've, that I've read and heard, but I heard it enough and echoed enough times that, uh, you know, I found it kind of curious because we see how so many of these justice Democrats or, you know, any of these different groups, they're very easily co-opted. They're very easily infiltrated. So uh, I just, just was curious to hear your, your feedback on, I'm sure you've heard the the allegations that 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 was that was totally rigged in terms like the green the greens are more or less been infiltrated is is what the kind of uh the you know the overarching kind of point that i see a lot of these people making is this is there any teeth to this or is this just like angry uh uh ventura fans so i i don't think it's necessarily just angry ventura fans um you know, it, there's a lot of detractors of the Green Party because they don't want the Green Party to be successful, right? Um, from whatever point um, they're trying to do that, right? Um, people have many different motivations for trying to drag down the Green Party. Um, and I'll let you f- think about that for yourself there. But, um, you know, as as far as the presidential primary goes, um, so... It's interesting because, I mean, this is like, you know, it's our highest profile race, right? And, you know, you have people that do want to run for it, um, that office. 
Um, so in the 2020 election cycle, um, you know, we had um, Howie Hawkins, we had um, Dario Hunter, um, Ian Schlackman, and a few others. And, um, you know, the, um, the Dennis Lambert, um, <laughs> um, uh, Sednam uh, Curry, um, but, you know, um, there's a couple things. Uh, there is a process for people that are interested in be becoming the presidential candidate. Uh, the Presidential Campaign Support Committee um, basically works with people that are interested. Um, and it's things like, um, you know, we ask that candidates get, you know, signature, collect signatures from 100 Greens in different states, right? Um, and, you know, so, you know, backing them as, you know, a, a viable presidential candidate. We, we'd like to see candidates be able to raise $5,000, I think, from, or I can't remember what the levels we settled on, but there was actually a group that was trying to up the limits that you had to, to be able to raise in each state. Basically, we wanted to, to have some show that you, you know, you could get money, you know, raise money and actually run a presidential campaign. Um, it wasn't a reasonable amount, but again, this other group wanted to raise it. Myself and others on the presidential campaign support committee said, no, we want to still make it accessible to people that don't have access to money, you know, and um, so, I hate, but I hate to interrupt you there, brother, but my, my, my question was, do you believe there's, you personally believe there's any teeth, any validity possible, possible to there to there being some corruption at the upper ends of the Green Party? That was more my direct question. I, yeah. you know, I get, I get what you're saying about the process. I, I'm, I'm more interested yeah. in your personal thoughts on how corrupted the Green Party might be. So, um, okay, uh, how corrupted the Green Party might be. I was trying to get to your, your answer there, um, or your question. Um, but, so I think there are some people that are maybe involved with the Green Party that don't have the best of intentions, um, you know, um, but I think most people there are, um, um, you know, there for the right reasons and, and have good intentions. Um, so, you know, again, in regards to, to Howie Hawkins in the presidential campaign, um, you know, there was some definitely some gray areas where people were working on Howie's campaign and working on an influential committee for, say, ballot access. Right. But a lot of that comes down to, again, um, you know, the more people that are involved, the, the less crossing of those kind of boundaries, you know, that we would have. Um, you know, there was somebody on the media committee, you know, the. GPUS media committee that was also working on Howie's campaign or something like that. But Howie's was the most, you know, sophisticated campaign, I would say, you know, and, you know, you had more experienced greens with, you know, behind his campaign. Um, so, you know, is there like corruption going on? I, not really, but there's some people like I see operating at the national level. I'm like, you know, does this person have the best interest of the party in mind? Um, you know, but, Again, we're very, um, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm searching for? It's um, it's like grassroots, but it's also um, fragmented. Well, not fragmented. Uh, it's, um, there's a very specific word. Um, uh, I'm I'm blanking on it right now. Um, but it's like it's um. It, it gives autonomy to the different states. And, you know, again, we have a 150 person uh, national committee so and a nine person steering committee. So it's unlike the, the DNC 
uh, per se, or uh, you know, where you have a, a single co-chair, right? We have a nine-person, um, you know, nine co-chairs plus we have you know other officers, um, you know, making the decisions. So it's harder for you know it to be totally corrupted and co-opted, um, right? But I mean, again, it, it's the the people that are involved make up the party. Um, you know, and, um, unfortunately, again, we didn't have a better candidate than Howie in 2020. Um, but I could, I could go on more about this, but I don't want to take up other people's time, but, um, no. I don't know, Zabby, if you want to have let, me, let me just, let me also say that, like, I'm a, I voted, I voted for Jill Stein. I voted for Howie Hawkins. Yeah. I haven't voted Democrat since 2008. All right. Since Barack Obama. So I'm not, I'm not asking this in like, in like a gotcha sort of sense. I, although it does kind of seem they like coming off like that. I am just more interested in fleshing out where is my time and effort best spent. You know what I mean? Like it, it, because it, 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 I mean, you see, I mean, I quite frankly, you look at what the DSA has done and, and these other people, they just, just see, you know, justice Democrats, you know, uh, they, they, they're just obviously fucking co-opted you know what i mean they're obviously for you know whether you say it was the power that corrupted them or infiltrators you know we could debate that ad nauseum but we can see that those these people are not serving our interests you know what i mean at this point so for my my only purpose and 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 kind of like you know putting you on the spot here with this question is because you know what i mean I, i i like i said i vote for the greens i want I want to see the Greens on the debate stage. I, I, I fucking still never see anything about climate change or anything ever brought up in any of the presidential debates. It's it's criminal, you know. Uh, uh, um, so these these things do matter to me. So I'm not asking this facetiously. I'm I'm genuinely concerned because from a lot of what I've heard is that we can't necessarily trust the upper management of the Green Party. And again, these are just the things that I hear from other people that are involved in, in politics locally here in San Francisco and Oakland, where I'm at. And so, uh, I, I don't know necessarily what to believe. So that's why I ask you. So I just, Justin, I just invited you as a speaker so I can move you up to the speaker uh, portion. And I want to bring Johnny in um, as well. I just, I want to make sure we get to the other. I, I have to I have to run, but I love these conversations. If, if it wasn't for me having to take care of something, I would definitely stay, but um, let's continue doing this. Let's continue strategizing. I believe that we will come up with a solution. All right, much love to everybody. Thanks, Case. Well, All right, Case. so Justin, I am in- inviting you as a speaker so I can go ahead and bring in Johnny. So you have to accept uh, that okay. request. I- I, yep. Okay, and then uh, Johnny, you are now on the mic. What's up, Savvy? You hear me? Hello, what's going on? Oh, I'm all right, I'm all right. Hey, Zena. So I just wanted to clarify when I said that um, Jade, uh, Justice Democrats and brand new Congress are one and the same. I, 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 you know, I meant that kind of hy- hyperbolic that that they were kind of organized by the same group of people in the beginning. And I mean, everything that they organized from the beginning, their websites, the questionnaire for the candidates were identical. I remember because I was running. You know, I I was part of the Bernie, you know, crowd campaign. And then after the convention, I fucking dropped all of it and went to help Jill Stein. Right. Um, We even started trying to help organize a seedling. That's what uh, a new chapter, a local chapter is called for the Green Party here in Rochester. Um, 
really got motivated, you know, Dem exit, screw them, all that in 2016. Of course, we knew we were only trying to help Jill Stein get to 5%. Um, went through that whole thing. Uh, you know, the whole disappointment of 2016, Trump gets elected. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? And then people on the left were really kind of scattered, trying to regroup. They, they There was a bunch of still Dem exiters. There were people running to the Greens. There were, you know, there were, uh, the, then the, the People's Summit came along. I went to that 2017. Zana, you were there, right? Um, and that's where Draft Bernie was. And, you know, all that was, was coming about. Um, our revolution. Right. Bernie came out and and said, you know, go run for local office. And I that's what I did. Right. I ran for Congress in 2018, but went to the the People's Summit, you know, came back. Uh, Most of the people on my head, like 20 people on my campaign, like we filled up a whole row at the convention center at the founding convention for the Minnesota Our Revolution. Right. Chapter. And that is a complete debacle. And just I won't even go into it, you know, Um Ran for Congress, decided uh, to, to, to run as a Democrat because, you know, everything we're talking about, right? The, the access to getting in. And, um, you know, I learned a lot about, especially here in Minnesota, the Democratic process is basically just like the Electoral College. The state process for picking candidates, it whittles people down to delegates. And then those three, basically 300 people choose the nominee, right? Um, I don't like that delicate process. I think that you know, it's undemocratic. Uh, any institution, including the Green Party, that that operates on this delegate process for picking their their candidates um, for their nominees is is uh, uh, purging votes. I mean, that's what happens. You know, uh, 10,000 people vote and then they're basically voting for a delegate. And then that delegate goes and votes for another delegate and it gets whittled down. Um, so when what, what, what I found here was in Minnesota, where uh, the Green Party you know, I think originated in St. Cloud um, at a college uh, was almost non-existent. I mean, it's pitiful. They're, they are up in the cities. And just so you're clear in Minnesota, when you get out of the Twin Cities, it's Texas. OK, <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> Iowa. I mean, I live in southern Minnesota, which is northern Iowa. OK, so when you talk about I mean, I live in a mega town now, I, I, a suburb of of Rochester, which is where uh, the Mayo Clinic is. Many, many of you know about the Mayo Clinic. And, you know, the the uh, the organization aspect of the Green Party is just almost non-existent. You know, um, uh, when I was running still as an independent, in 2017, before I went to the People's Summit, I was, you know, and, you know, done what I did with Jill Stein and I met her in the cities and all this other good stuff and and trying to help the Green Party grow. I asked them um, what they thought about having a candidate for Congress because they hadn't had they don't have any state candidates. They had nothing. I mean, it's just pitiful. I'm like and the guy tells me, he goes, well, I don't think you can win, but it would be great for building the party. Well, that wasn't what I was interested in. If I was going to run, I was going to run to win because I had work to do. Okay, I had policies to enact. I I needed to get shit done for the people. Right. I wasn't interested in this long, drawn out, you know, uh, process of building up a party that really wasn't interested in my view of building up itself uh, at, at this time. So I. I said, okay, fine. I'm not going to go that route. And and I actually let 
the members of the campaign decide which route we would take. Um, and so we did. And that, again, complete like like Bernie Sanders. Some dude comes out from the outside. The whole fucking, you know, Democrats all think that he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And everybody else, there was five other candidates. Everybody else was just, you know, ignored. And then he goes on to lose. So in 2018, I'm kind of fed up with the party. It's, you know, aspect of things. Justice Democrats and brand new Congress, neither of them were help. Uh, we, we ran uh, a, a, a complete expose on both of them from the outside. Uh, Sema Hernandez from Texas, Dave Hildebrand from California. You know, Justice Democrats was basically acting like the DNC. Like they had a whole list of members they touted, but they weren't running any candidates by them in the process of choosing. They were just sitting in a room and reading these questionnaires and picking candidates. And that was our complaint as from a candidate's perspective, like, how are you choosing these candidates? And why aren't you using your email list just to get candidates direct donations? Why are you filtering it through your, your process? Why can't you just say, here, you know, we, we choose this candidate and, and do an email blast. And if a candidate got 10 grand, that's a huge bump in supplies and things like that, that you, unfortunately, that you need, like, like handouts and bumper stickers, stupid shit like that, that people view as making you viable in a race. It just is, you know, hand signs and shit like that. Uh, it, 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 it's a branding exercise that makes a candidate more uh, uh, viable to the general population, right? And so that was our complaint to Justice Democrats. And as we dug into their finances, we saw like brand new Congress was taking uh, um, uh, donations in from its political end and then paying uh, its its LLC in terms of consulting fees. That's what it can was I, on Open can I, can I give a clarification on that? You're sure. absolutely right, though. You're not wrong about any of it. But this was in 2018 before the PAC split. And right, that's right, why right. we had a PAC split. And then after that, we no longer took self-nomination. So a candidate couldn't nominate themselves. They, they were supposed to be nominated by their community, which they got rid of this policy, too. You know, and that's one of the reasons that I left. But they had to be nominated by their community, be a community organizer, kind of like Justin mentioned earlier. Like, yeah, why not elect organizers, right? And then we were trying to prioritize independents and third-party candidates again. Right. Um, but but we fundraised directly for candidates, and many of those weren't even split donations. So I think well, we brand new Congress did. Well, I was talking about Justice Democrats. Yes. And Justice Democrats still does that to this day where they fundraise for themselves, really. And it doesn't go to the candidate and they're paying middle seat. Right. So and you're absolutely exactly. right. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. You're yeah, 100 yeah. right. Right. Let and me, I was uh, just clarifying me, my earlier point, too, about, uh, you know, I, well, I know really, they were separate, but in our minds as candidates, they were kind of one in the same. And and Justice Democrats, from our viewpoint, was specifically targeting trying to primary uh, you know, corporate Democrats or whatever, establishment Democrats. And brand new Congress was more open to kind of helping any candidate, right? Not just Democrats. And so we understood that. But, you know, again, so we, we tangled with all these different possibilities of getting our foot in the door is really what it's all about. And um, unfortunately, when, when you asked about like 
the the green party whether they I I think corruption might be a hard word I don't I don't necessarily think they're corrupt I think they are just as conservative in their progressive values and their structure as any other party because I I mean the I was the youngest person at 45 in our local group and I was saying we've got a college we we're a college town we've got three different colleges in our town and the youngest person here is 45 at the time, 40, uh, 41. So I can't remember how old it was. Anyway, it was a while ago. And, you know, so I'm saying that, that this goes back to getting the younger generation. Well, a lot of the oldies, they don't appreciate the new ideas and the new way that, you know, change. That's really what it boils down to. They call themselves progressives. But when it comes to changing things that aren't working, they didn't want to hear it. And I got sick of it. And I just kind of said, I'm, I'm done with them too. And I, that pushed me away from all the party politics. Um, and it's interesting when you talk about the Green Party, because I'm looking at the Minnesota State uh, Secretary of State website right now under our political parties. And as far as major parties go, we have four. We have the Democratic uh, Farm and Labor Party, the DFL. We have the Grassroots Legalized Cannabis Party. We have the Legalized Marijuana Now Party. And we have the Republican Party. Those are major parties. And then in the minor parties, we have the Independence Party and the Libertarian Party. The Green Party isn't even listed in Minnesota as a minor party. And um, people, you know, they get on me. They go, well, vote green, vote green. I'm like, I can't. There are no candidates. They don't so exist around here. They was, don't want to run. Country. They don't want to get outside of the cities. They don't want to do anything. So I, I'm kind of stuck. Uh, let me just, Justin. well, one second, Justin, let me just chime in here for a second. Uh, I just want to make sure I heard this correctly from you, Johnny. There's a weed party. Oh, you bet, baby. Check this out. It is. There's two of them. And I don't know. I want to get with them and say, why haven't you guys just joined forces? Because they've run candidates for Congress in the last four, uh, two elections. And uh, one of them, I can't remember because I confused them, right? Um, I actually elect, I voted for him. Like I don't, I'm not voting green, uh, Democrat or Republican. So it's either, if there's a green, I usually will weigh my choices, but if there's a marijuana, so it's uh, grassroots dash legalized cannabis party. And then the legalized oh, God, marijuana no. now party, both of them are considered major parties in the, uh, in Minnesota. And I'm looking at the state statute to see what constitutes a major party and it's running. Can't it, it's either or, you know, running for governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, state auditor. Um, and then number two is uh, presidential elector or U.S. senator at the last preceding state. So they have their, you know, I didn't read the minor ones, but I'm just using this as, as, as just trying to point out that there's other parties that are gaining more ground than the Green Party. And Jill Stein was here campaigning in 2016. So I don't know really what's wrong with the Green Party. Um, I've kind of given up hope on trying to help them. I support most of their agenda, but I'm not going to waste my time on it. I'm at the point with them that I am with the Democrats. I mean, I, I, I if we aren't going to take take them over, like was suggested, you know, that's a possibility. If you're going to really like storm the doors and say, hey, guys, we need this infrastructure and we're going to take it over because you're not using utilizing it properly. Um, then that's a possibility. But. I, I'm at the, here's my thinking, and, and then I'll let the other speakers go. I, you know, RBN, we're all, we're all revolutionaries, and I don't find anything revolutionary about maintaining the same electoral 
uh, system that we have and trying to utilize um, uh, or try to defeat the system through the system, right? So when we talk about general strike, one thing I haven't seen, and I'm working with a couple of different general strike groups who, you know, in, in a little disarray, they're trying to work with each other. Um, I, some of them said they tried working with RBN and, and didn't really get through. So this is a problem we have on the left is that people talk about working with fucking MAGA and, and that, but they don't want to work with, you know, their fellow leftists who support the same agenda that they do. And I don't understand this. It boils down to personality and egos. I know that's a problem, but as far as organizing these events, it's difficult to be taken seriously when people that are also organizing them are on the outskirts and they're not getting along. But I see it this way, that if we're going to have some kind of mass labor movement, like was talked about uh, earlier, I think you talked about it on your show, Sebi, about, uh, or, or maybe a commenter did about, you know, um, uh, uh, the railroad workers, the air, air, um, air, the uh, uh, airline attendants. Remember when, when they didn't pass a budget and they threatened yep. to strike and then they signed the budget, they didn't even go on strike. They just threatened to. So if you had those type of people on your side, but, what is on the other side of that strike? What are the demands? Is it just, oh, we need higher wages. Oh, we need more vacation. No, that's not revolutionary. First of right. all, we need to address our election and voting system, period, on the other side of a general strike, or we're just beating ourselves in the head. So right. my thought process is the general strike with demands that, you know, okay, we need these certain social things, we need some raises right away, but we also need these election forms. And basically it's the things that the forward party talks about. Now, you know, I don't believe the forward party, I think they're bullshit, right? but on their platform, they're saying, these are the things we're working toward. We need election reform, you know, propo uh, proportional representation, whatever. They have these three things that they say they need. Okay, now I agree with that. Any third parties, we need those reforms in order to get what we want out of our government so that we have a functioning and fair democracy. So on the other side of the, of the general strike, we demand these election reforms. Now we have ranked choice voting or star voting, and we have you know, a, 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 an actual you know, legitimate voting system and, and, and election system where ballots are legitimized and you know, all that's good and we trust it. Um, then us, the people in this room anyway, I say, fuck all the rest of the parties. I mean, even the weed parties. I mean, you know, they're, that, that's an isolated issue. It doesn't cover everything. I mean, it really boils down to workers and we don't have a labor party in this country worth a shit. And so I say out of the general strike, we form a new political party based on the needs of workers, call it the labor party with a capital L. And that's with the election reforms that we've just demanded we're able to start seeing the democracy play out. And then I'll leave with this one thing. Remember this, democracy means you don't always win. I, I'm a member, a founding member of a cooperative, a worker-owned cooperative, and I don't always get my way. That's the democratic way, okay? I have to cooperate. And <laughs> most people don't, they keep saying they want democracy, but what I see, and this happens even on the left, is they really don't want democracy. They just want people to accept their progressive agenda that they believe is better for them, and they don't want them to question it. And we can't go about it that way. We have to be willing to educate people on why what they're experiencing is happening, get to the root of the problem, and, and then tell them 
how these solutions are better for them. And in order to do that, we also have to be educated ourselves. There's a lot of people who are confused about what they even believe. You know, they call themselves this or that, and they don't even really know what those ideologies are or what those principles stand for. And it's getting really frustrating on my end because I don't, I try not to use labels at all. Like I don't call myself a Marxist or this or that. I mean, I, I, I promote certain ideologies, but I don't try to label myself based on those, especially if they're named after people. I, I, we need to stop that. We need to stop iconizing and idolizing individuals and creating a top-down system that we say we don't want. We always do that. We have to seek out a leader because we're incapable of leading ourselves. And we really need to stop doing that. If we truly want equality, then we have to seek out a system of community where there truly are no bosses. That's a good point. Um, I I do want to make sure Justin has a chance to respond, but uh, really quick, um, you said groups tried to contact RBN. It, It depends how they tried to contact us. I think if they tried to contact us via DM, not the best idea. Um, I personally, like there's two different accounts, obviously there's the RBN Twitter account. And then I have my personal account. I actually had to close my DMs. This is why like, if I don't follow you back, you can't DM me. And the reason why I had to close my DMs is because I was getting so much crap. Like so, so many DMs, like I cannot keep up with it. Uh, But however, that being said, the RBN uh, account DM is not closed. So do you know if they tried to contact via Twitter? Honestly, I asked. It's it's the um, General Strike Revolution group. And I I saw their website really looked like crap. I'm a web developer. So that's why I noticed things about websites. And so I offered to go in and help them up, uh, you know, which I we still haven't gotten to. And it's it's a pretty convoluted org. You know, they've got way fucking too much information. And I mean, I'm somebody that knows a lot about this stuff. And I'm coming in there going, holy shit, guys, there's no way people can even uh, consume this much. But anyway, when I first got in. In one of the conversations, we had a, a, a video chat and um, I asked them, you know, who else they talked to. And and one of the girls just mentioned you guys and said they had mentioned they had reached out. Um, it might have been I don't know the details because I, I literally wanted to know the details, but nobody will get back to me in the group with any details. And I don't know if the people who aren't there anymore, you know, have the details. All it really was, it's not a big thing. I mean, it was just, I. they said, well, we reached out to like RBN when, you know, because uh, they talked about General Strike and they didn't want to work with us or whatever. That was on, That was all I heard. And I have zero details about it, but it, it it's something that, and I don't know why, and I don't, I'm not casting any shade on anybody because I don't know any details. I just know that this is very common um, among uh, leftist groups yeah, are trying but that, to come together that, on things. Yeah, that doesn't, we wouldn't have purposely ignored anyone. That sounds like someone that sent a DM or they probably sent an email to our old Gmail account because we've had that happen a couple of times, but we wouldn't have, have ignored them. Um, yeah. just well, and I'm, I'm still in there. So, you know, they're still talking about other things and I'm going to see where they're at. I mean, like I said, they have a whole lot 
of ideas and like a manifesto, a people's manifesto that somebody worked on. And I'm trying just to like, I'm not interested in stepping on any toes at this point. I'm like, look, I see somebody obviously put a lot of time and dedication into this and they probably don't want any altered information. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and that's another thing you can tell when you get into something, people, they put a lot of their heart and soul into something. And then you come in and say, Oh yeah, I like that. But uh, what about the, and they're like, you know, and it's like, okay, fuck it. I see this is your baby. I ain't even worried about it. And that's on them too, you know? So, I mean, I'm just identifying issues and then trying to figure out how to overcome them. And I really don't know the answer to a lot of them. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say, and I'll pass it to you, Justin, one thing I will say for people uh, who are listening, just FYI, we get a lot of, of DMs and a lot of emails and we don't have any help. So, and I have this problem on my end as well. Like I have over 400 emails in my inbox right now and I don't have, we don't have a producer. Like we don't have like, Eric helps me produce my show, but for RBN, we don't have a producer. We don't have anybody that's really helping us on that back end with those types of things. So that means like we have to do everything ourselves. So if we haven't responded, it's probably because we just haven't gotten to it yet. Or it's probably because if, like I said, if you send a DM, that's, that's a tough one because the DM space is it's crowded and I lose track of my own DMs, but Justin, I want to give you a chance to respond. Thank you, Sabi. Um, I actually wanted to comment um, to address something that CR um, said and um, CR said and Johnny uh, said, but um, I want to start with, um, you know, um, Johnny, I, I appreciate you. I follow you on Twitter and um, I appreciate your runs for office. Um, I, I do believe that running for office as a green is the best strategy though. And part of what I'm going to talk about here gets to that. Um, you know, um, I'm sorry about your experience with the state level green party there in Minnesota. Um, the thing I was, the word I was searching for earlier is that um, we, um, the green party believes in decentralization. So, um, you know, our, that like our states, um, they can kind of decide the way that they're going to go. And, you know, it's not like a top down, um, the GPUS is dictating what each state needs to do. But, um, you know, Minnesota does have a Green Party there. I don't know. I mean, um, and I would say, you know, overall, the Green Party is the fourth largest party and it's a nationally competitive party at the national level. Um, That can't be disputed, Johnny. Um, you know, it's uh, in Minnesota, um, we do have a Green Party. Jesse Ventura joined the Green Party in, in 2020 when he was thinking about running for office, right? Um, we have Cam Gordon, who's on Minneapolis City Council there, who was actually um, making some key votes during, um, you know, the George Floyd protests, um, right? So um, we have had a presence there in Minnesota. Um, but, you know, in, in in general, though, like, it's unfortunate that they said that, you know, it'd be nice if you ran, but, you know, we don't really expect you to win. Um, I think we do need to treat every race as if we're in it to, I mean, we really need to believe that we're in it to win it. And that should be the goal. And, um, but how do you get there? And so in Maine, you know, we had Lisa Savage run and we have ranked choice voting, but where we failed and where I think we really need to focus is getting candidates at every level. Like um, we have 16 counties in Maine. We need two candidates in every single county running for a municipal office or state representative office, right? Um, And that takes a lot of organization and it takes a lot of um, 
you know, framework, right? Um, so, and CRS was asking, you know, you know, concerns about everything being corrupt at the national level with the Green Party. Um, you know, my point right now, and what I'm trying to do here in Maine is I'm trying to get the first Green elected to the United States Congress, either a Senate or a House member. And because we have ranked choice voting and it's a really big race, right? Um, I would encourage you to look at your own state and what can you do for the Green Party there? Um, you know, be it, you know, hey, can I help find people to run for office at the, you know, for state rep? You know, start really being involved in your local politics. And, you know, is there a committee I can serve on or, you know, um, but I think, you know, I again, a state by state strategy. I think we do need to run people at that level, though, for Congress, Johnny. And I'm sorry that the you didn't have a better interaction with the, the Minnesota Green Party. I I know people there I would love to get you in touch with, like um, Taryn Cruz, um, who was a, a national co-chair and um, is the chair of the uh, Minnesota Greens. Um, and um, I was on the state CC, my friend. I, I, I don't I, I'm not I'm not ignorant of what the Minnesota Green Party is. I know Cam yeah. Gordon. I, I'm well aware of what's going on in my state. Um, the point is, and you're right, I'm not I'm not downing the Green Party saying that nobody should even attempt that. I, I I'm a friend. Uh, I met Matthew Ho. Um, we had a discussion about the job guarantee versus UBI. And um, he's a great fucking guy. You know, uh, Delilah down in Texas, you know. Um, I knew Rodolfo Cortez, who you were referring to earlier. I actually yeah. met him in, in New York personally when I was at the uh, second annual MMT conference. So I get awesome. it. I'm, I'm just expressing that, that you know, it, it's not necessarily a national strategy. If people can start getting, um, uh, you know, um, uh, attention on uh, state levels and it can start gaining momentum, that's great. I don't see it happening anytime soon i mean this is something that's been going on for 20 years and I, i'm just trying to be straight i'm not trying to dog anybody i'm just trying to be straight with what i've seen okay they've been going on this for 20 years since you know ralph nader ran we're at the point we're at now 2016 you would have expected this huge bump we haven't seen it people didn't flock there and stay there they went oh, there for a period of time if and i could, then they kind I of could commit, jump in you know, there for a second johnny here What's because that? Go ahead. He, he did. He he did bring up my name here. Said that in, yeah. in what I was saying here, because I'm a little bit gonna agree with you here. Say, because think about this for a second. We were talking about you know you know uh, the uh, Justice Democrats talking about you know the Working Families Party, you know the brand new Congress. We talk about how all these got absorbed into the Democratic system, right? But they run very much like the Democratic system depended on the same types of structures like the democratic system. And I find this very similar to the way that corporations across our country swallow up all of their competition as well. We have a fundamental issue that is kind of beyond the kind of, you know, the, the inside baseball that we're talking right now about politics, if you really think about it. And I have a, I have a worry here with the Green Party if it's going to continue to run in the similar structure as all other type of parties have run, much like these businesses, and then they get co-opted, much like smaller corporations, once they start to pose a threat to larger corporations, get absorbed. Do we not find ourselves in that same sort of position here now? For you know, so this is beyond just you know, who wants to vote for who, but more that there's a, there's a, there's a systemic issue in the way that we're organizing ourselves. 
Well, you know, this goes to um, the other point I was going to make is, you know, does it make more sense to run as an independent or as a green? Um, again, like, you know, Johnny, if you'd been on the ballot as an independent, um, you know, you would have had to, you know, build organization in every single county in the state of Minnesota. If we had down ticket candidates, and that's why I think like, you know, a third party, you know, Green Party candidate where you have down ticket candidates that are running races and you're doing coordinated campaigning, that's really where the bang for the buck is. But, you know, again, like I think we really need to, to try, to run, try to run as many races. I encourage people to not just vote Green, but join the Green Party because we're not going to get more candidates to run like in a lot of cases, you know, again, it's great if we could vote green, but you, you probably don't have a Green Party candidate to vote for until we get to the presidential election. If, if we don't get people running for these lower law offices and we would if we had more people involved with the party. Um, but, you know, um, you know, CRS. Um, is it Chris? Um, the um, basically, you know, if. Um, You know, you were saying, um, uh, I'm going to lose my train of thought here. Uh, I'll just, I, I'll yield. Um. Uh, let me, let me jump in here for just a second. You know, I think this is a really healthy discussion because what we talked about tonight on the show is that there's pros and cons with both strategies. There's pros and cons with, um, justice Democrats. There's posing, excuse me, pros and um, cons with third parties and with independent candidates, right? Like we know that getting on the debate stage is a battle, is a, a, a struggle. And this is where I would encourage, like Johnny, you're in Minnesota. Uh, Jesse Ventura, for example, I, I did interview him. And Jesse Ventura told me that he targeted the college students uh, when he was running, but also he was able to get on the debate stage. And I think that is a huge thing that needs to happen for third party and independent candidates. I think they need to find their way to the debate stage. People need to hear them debate. This goes back to the election reform. What I said is one of the like number one demand out of our revolution, because until you change the rules so that we can actually present whoever the fuck we want up there, and, and like you said, I mean, there's no reason there should be a 15% cutoff for, um, for uh, all, uh, you know, uh, opposing party debates, right? So you have four fucking people up there. They're all from different parties. Why is there a minimum? Who cares? It's not a primary. I can see if you're doing like the Dem primary, you got to have at least 5% because otherwise, you know, we got 20 candidates, we got 30, you know, I get that kind of thing. But there's no excuse for it on that level other than the two major parties are controlling the debate stage. And, and so until we change that through force, right, whatever force it is, whether it's protest or, you know, um, taking to the streets, pitchforks, uh, um, mass, uh, boycott mass, you know, I mean, consumer boycotts really need to go hand in hand with, with a strike. People don't understand that because consumerism really kills undermines the workforce but that's another topic so anyway i'm gonna go just because there's people in line and i don't want to sit here hogging a seat um but i i'm not dogging on the the idea of the green party i do think justin i agree with you 
if all the fucking progressives who were all in love with Bernie in 2016 and were pissed off at the Democrats all came together under one umbrella and didn't do 50 different, you know, attempts, um, then we'd have more power and strength to go up against the duopoly. Uh, but there are organizational issues with that that seem to be hard to overcome. And, and it has to come from the central place where the problem is rooted, you know. That's right. Well said, uh, Johnny. Uh, Roger Meadows, uh, I just made you a speaker. You just have to go ahead and unmute. Hey. Hello. How are you? Welcome. Um, thank you. I'm doing great. Hello, Zaneb. Hello, ZR. C CR. Hello, hey, Justin. Roger. How's hey, Roger. Okay, so I think, Sabby, I think you know what I'm going to say. I do. <laughs> I am going to give you, now we heard the first answer, which is the first alternative, the traditional Democrat Republican. We hear the second alternative, which is third parties. I'm giving you the third alternative. I personally am a party abolitionist. I think we should get rid of all parties. And let me tell you why. Because you know I wrote this out, Savvy. I know. Something as innocent as we have to become a strong united front to fight the other party in order to serve the American people. That right there, you have chosen to put your party first before the people. This from its inception lays the seeds for contention and to work competitively rather than cooperatively with those who are not part of your clique and will eventually lead to corruption. Therefore, it is my belief political parties are the second core point rot of our ability to govern and that it would be in the country's best interest to get rid of them altogether. How we do it, I will tell you. Out of the three ballot initiative states, 17 of them allow for citizens to amend their state constitution using the ballot initiative process. Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Florida, Illinois, Massachusetts, Michigan, Montana, Missouri, Nebraska, Nevada, the Dakotas, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, all allow for direct and indirect ballot initiatives that allow for residents to amend their state constitution. What if each of those states passed the ballot initiative amending their state constitution to abolish all political parties at every level of government? A quick note, Nebraska, the only state in the country that does not have a political party at every level of government except for the federal. But I say, why stop there? Not to mention, Nebraska is the only state legislature that's not composed of two bodies, just the Nebraska House of Representatives. So they're almost there. Doing this would break the U.S. Senate in half and fragment the U.S. House, where they'd end up having 34 U.S. senators who are free to operate in the best interest of their constituency. This will make that GOP and this will make the GOP and Dem and any party uh, can never control the U.S. Senate again. The number one reason why we should get rid of political parties is even with the best of good intentions, eventually political parties become corrupt 
due to the fact that they are designed from jump to look out for the party interests and well-being first before looking out for the public interests of those elected them into office. I believe abolition would lead to the following. One, with no party to protect and expand, politicians would then be free agents, unbound by the ideological constraints, restraints put on them by a party. They would be free to roam and make alliances where need be based on an issue-by-issue basis. Politicians would form united fronts over policy, not political party, thus allowing them to get right down to the business of serving the American people. Two, regarding we must get bipartisan legislation, this talk by Democrats where yesterday it was Obama, today it is Biden and Manchin, and tomorrow it'll be someone else would all be gone because anything with the word partisan in American politics language would be gone. Three, voter suppression rulings by partisan judges plus laws and tactics done by political parties, you know, what GOP does in general elections and Democrats do in primaries, as well as partisan gerrymandering gone because there'd be no party to protect. Four, partisan gerrymandering would be eliminated because there would be no party to give the advantage to or take it away from. Matter of fact, if anything, you will see possibly even more districts created as this would give their state more congressional delegates to send to D.C., electoral college votes and more resources when it comes to the census. Five, no matter, no more dangling red meat in front of your base to keep them voting for your party as you take it away once you get into power. Ever wonder why Democrats never codified Roe v. Wade into law or set the minimum wage to be permanently above the cost of living and dynamically go up when it goes into law or did anything to significantly improve black people's economic conditions or Republicans failing to call for, um, you know, uh, what do you call it, a constitutional amendment that they're always talking about abolishing the IRS or, you know, all the other stuff they do. They want you to keep voting for them so they hold that carrot over your head, constantly putting it out of reach. It's holding our rights hostage. Six, political machines gone. Any exception for machines a political, a particular politician might have built up for themselves. Seven, this would also dissolve Republican opposition to D.C. and Puerto Rico becoming states, knowing that D.C. as a state would probably be two more Democrats added to the U.S. Senate, plus an assumption that two more Democrats from Puerto Rico would be added to the U.S. Senate as well. That's why GOP opposes statehood for both of them. Eight, not only with voter suppression laws that increase disenfranchisement be gone, but all voters would be up for grabs on a per candidate level, not partisan level, and therefore laws increasing ballot access and re-enfranchisement would pass because of every candidate would be scrambling to get as many votes as possible, not as many voters that they choose to champion since there would be no party for, uh, for voters to be loyal to. None of this, we appeal to this type of voter over here, and we'll make sure that the the other parties' voters are demonized would be a thing. Nine, remember how Arizona and Georgia Republicans who won congressional and state legislative seats pretzel twisted themselves up during interviews regarding the whole Stop the Steal 2020 election being stolen from Trump. And when asked, well, you live in one of those Stop the Steal states that said the election was stolen from Trump due to shadiness and irregularities. So wouldn't that make your win an illegitimate win as well? Watching their brain short circuit in real time was hilarious because they wanted to endear themselves to Trump voters. This would not be a thing or maybe less of a thing if there were no parties. Ten, 
help from party leadership going because there'd be no party of your opponent's side to help them, which would allow candidates to fight on an playing field. 11, most importantly, abolishment would lead to a more informed electorate that voters would be forced to inform themselves on the candidates who are running. That automatic trust factor vote among voters that kicks in, assuming that simply because they are Democrat or Republican, that they're going to look out for you would be gone. Voters don't get to shortcut people into office simply because they have a D or R next to their name or whatever alphabet of, you know, whatever letter of the alphabet, simply because they make these assumptions. Voters would be forced into educating themselves on the policies candidates supported, voted or ruled on ruled on if they're elected state municipal judges instead of voting on brand identification, because that's what we do in this country. We vote on brand, not policies, while making excuses for our guys like what Democratic voters did in New York when it was apparent that Cuomo was doing a horrible job with corona and trying to hide nursing home deaths. But voters chose not to see that until the cover up of the real numbers nursing home deaths came out. Twelve. Credibility and authenticity among politicians and advocacy groups would be restored, allowing them to adhere to their principles, no matter who's violating those principles, as opposed to now, where they only call out corruption, misconduct, bad behavior, etc., when it's the other party and voters who they know will never vote for them, but excuse, refuse, and remain silent when it's their party or voters engaging in the same bad behavior, which can also happen in a primary like We've seen when women's groups made up shit about Bernie when they didn't have anything on him, making him out to be some form of sexual deviant and, pray, and praying um, they can find and praying they can find some type of sex scandal on him or sexist allegations. And when they couldn't find one, they made shit up. Yet the person that they chose to be their nominee was actually all of those things and worse. They were silent on Biden with Tara Reid allegations, came up or they played down where they went as far as to employ the same smear tactics that Republicans did with um, with that woman that testified against Brett Kavanaugh. Then reemerged to protect Kamala when she was picked as VP, not to mention trying to defend Neera Tandon, who outed a sexual uh, assault victims who came to her in confidence. Plus is a warmongering, union-busting, vociferous opponent of, medic, of expanding Medicare to everyone and big proponent of cutting Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid. Look at how much trouble the leader of Time's Up got into with siding with Cuomo when it came to smearing Lindsey Boylan and others who worked for Cuomo. Later, bro. Uh, 13, think about how hard these parties scrambled to throw governance out in favor of party. Look at in Virginia, when Governor Ralph Northam was found out doing blackface, there were these calls for him to resign. However, when it came out, his lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax, got accused of sexual assault and the Virginia AG was caught doing blackface as well. The problem for Democrats was that if they got rid of all those guys, then it would fall to the Speaker of the House of Delegates, who'd be a Republican. Quickly, how everyone looked the other way on that. 14. Think about this. Would the fight of Merrick Garland, as well as record number of judicial filibusters under Obama nominees, have existed if there were no parties? Maybe it would. I mean, he was the first black president, so you never know. 
15. A lot of times what happens when the country is undergoing a crisis in an election year, the minority party is disincentivized to do anything and not work with the majority party and shift the blame in hopes that the American people will blame the majority for why shit is fucked up and they'll put them, the minority party, in charge. When there are no political parties, that incentivization is removed and lawmakers will be more apt to act on the people's will immediately. We saw Boehner and McConnell do it during Obama in 2012. Then we saw Pelosi do it with Trump when he was going to deliver $2,000 checks and $1.8 trillion in stimulus money to us. And she chose not to help uh, get that to the American people because she didn't want Trump to get the credit. Then once after the election that Trump lost, she went with half of what Trump was offering. And when asked why, she said she wanted to make sure Trump didn't win the election all to make him look bad. 16, with political parties, the parties are built, are not built to win and do anything on behalf of voters once they've won. They're built to oppose from the minority sections. Democrats are worse because they make excuses why they can't but really won't do anything for us once in power, despite when the GOP is in power, they make excuses to do things to us. Once you understand the structure, all of it starts to make a lot more sense. The parties exist to oppose, not to legislate on our behalf. Connell right now in 22 are poised to win running on nothing. They've done nothing for two straight years when your staff or your Congress, who's in the opposition party, it's actually kind of awesome. You get to introduce these fake bills, which you know aren't going to pass. It's all messaging. You get to critique the other side who was in the majority and you get to fly home. And at the end of the day, you don't do anything. You don't chair a committee. You don't have to know all of your votes. It's pretty simple. If your staffer life is great, you, when you're raising money, you actually, in general, raise more money in opposition than you do on the other side. They only want to win the way they want to win. This is why Republicans don't actually promise a clear, specific material agenda while Democrats do. But when but then just lie once they get into power because they'd rather lose than actually have to deliver on something that would help people rather than their big money donors and party interests. The GOP would much rather win on cultural war, uh, on a cultural war front than have to deliver on those $2,000 checks if Trump were to win the election, there's no question. McConnell literally would rather lose forfeit Georgia and Trump lose when they win and would have had to set the president to cutting those checks. Setting that standard would have shattered GOP fiscal policy for all time in the Republican eyes and would have to had done something else. 17, no more empty partisan loyalty of getting behind people who are egregious and you absolutely abhor, but are forced to back because leadership requires it, where if you don't endorse your ascendancy within the party, remain stunted. No leadership positions, special committee assignments, or support in running for president in the future. Legislative and judicial branches would be truly independent of the president, no matter to no more providing cover because he is of your party or opposite when he is not. 18. Politicians would be free to back policies they normally wouldn't because their party leadership is against it or vice versa. When it comes to both chambers of the legislature being of the same party, but a different branch than the executive. They are quick to pass things they know the executive will veto. Yet when the executive is of, is of the same branch, of, you know, is of the same party as the legislature, all of a sudden it never gets to 
the executive's desk because they are all protecting their own ascendance in the party. And by embarrassing the ex executive is a sure fire way to kill that. So they hold off with no parties, all bets are off. 19, the political machine for the establishment of each party, which includes the news of both cable and online would be broken and dissolved. No more elevating of candidates, politicians they wanna put before primary voters, regardless of how their voters feel about them. 20, political news coverage, um, my bad, political public relations campaigns, because that's what they truly are, for their party coverage would be completely transformed and made null and void, thus allowing it to cover politics in a more honest way. No more giving cover to your side while demonizing voters and supporters of the opposite side. No more bending to the will of the GOP tactics instituted by Lee Atwater of working, of working the ref. MSBSC showed the most vile racist parts of the Tea Party, yet did not show the Tea Partyists that were simply against the bank bailouts. MSBSC shows footage of peaceful protesters doing nothing but randomly getting beat up by police, while Fox shows looters, yet dishonestly ties looters and protesters together. Both can be true at the same time, but you've got to be honest by showing both and trust your viewers with their own decisions as they see both sides. 21, encourages a more honest debate among American voters due to the fact there's no team to protect or cover for when they do unconscionable behavior. Just think about the instance when Republican voters talk about cities controlled by Democrats being run poorly, but fail to acknowledge that the state government that the city is within is run by Republicans who need to take some of that blame as well, which makes the problem bipartisan. Think of what party controls Flint and what con party controls Michigan. You know, think of what party controls Jackson and what party controls Mississippi. 22, no more party worship and blind loyalty to a party by voters either. All of this vote blue no matter who, vote red or your dead garbage is gone. 23, take a look at how GOP lays out Red, lays out the red carpet for Cubans, but rejects all the other Latinos coming from, from the global South, yet Dems let them in, assuming they will vote for them, and they end up voting Republican anyway. 24, speaking of the border, AOC was all at, over, on, and under the border when Trump was president, and GOP were nowhere to be found. A few months into 2021, it completely flipped. You, need, you didn't see AOC anywhere near the border calling out Joe whether it's visiting kids in cages or Haitians seeking asylum, but yet all these GOP politicians, Ted Cruz and all of them were all there calling out Joe Biden when they were nowhere to be found during Trump, all at the border. 25, almost done, Sab. Allows voters to blame the government as a whole instead of them blaming the other voters' party for why shit is fucked up. 26, governors, state lawmakers, and municipal politicians would no longer be tied to the president. No more taking undue blame or undue credit for how good or bad the president of their party is doing because there would be no party. They would have to make the case for themselves to voters, forcing voters to look at policy and ethics and governance. Uh, so yeah, skip that, but I can skip that. That's the thing. 28 or 29, committee hearings would be fair. 30, during budget negotiations to try and get Biden's infrastructure bill passed. I saw Manchin get interviewed by CNN on the filibuster saying he wants to preserve it to protect the rights of the minority party in order to uphold democracy. 
Now, beside the fact that we have 35 state senates and state government across the country who don't have a filibuster and they don't seem to be concerned, do you really think it would be an issue if we had no political parties? U.S. senators would line up according on an issue-by-issue basis. 31, the, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. How a party starts out thinking about the people over time as it grows, it becomes about the concerns of the party first before getting to the people. This from its inception makes it flawed. The Republican Party was the party of the abolitionist um, Lincoln and the party of Teddy Roosevelt, who ushered in the progressive era through his trust busting and being kind to the environment. As Black people what they think of the Republican Party now, as progressives what they think of the Republican Party, and as environmentalists what they think of the Republican Party now. Democrats used to be the union party, yet Obama didn't come down and show support to the teachers strike in Wisconsin, who was continuing a Bill Clinton legacy of turning away from them. Ask union members what they think of Democrats today. And the last one, 32, think of when natural disasters hit blue states. Think of how Republican senators like Cruz, I can't stand that fucker because he hates New York, and McConnell vote against them, getting funding because they have much contempt for those state voters. Well, you see my argument is political parties become corrupt as they grow over time because they become more concerned about their own power and self-interest within the party apparatus and are more concerned about securing their own positions than serving their constituents. Different players jockeying for different positions, looking to be kingmakers, elitists, really for their own egos. So, boom. I do. I do. Wow, Roger. <laughs> Roger really just laid it all. Oh my God. Everyone give Roger an applause. Roger's always got all the receipts. I think he's one of the smartest people on the left, and more people should be listening to Roger Meadows, I swear. 100%. There's multiple times throughout my show, sometimes I ask people, I'm like, all right, guys, you might want to take notes on this. Roger actually takes notes. <laughs> <laughs> Huge, huge appreciation for you, Roger, and um, you know the the ideas you come up with. Um, I wanted to compliment you many a time on that, and um, but I I don't totally agree though with the, just getting rid of parties. I think there is a place for it, but that maybe we can talk some other time on that. I yield. No, of course you would because you're a party person. I expect you to have that mentality, but me, I might screw all of them. You know what I'm saying? That's just where I'm at. You know, I'm a registered independent and I will stay. Matter of fact, I always make this argument, um, Sabrina. I say, yo, look, if black people want to be listened to and have leverage, we should exit this in mass out of the Democrat Party and all become registered independents. And now you've got both major parties and all parties vying for our vote. You see what I'm saying? Our vote is no longer guaranteed. So the Democrats will be like, will start panicking because they're like, oh shit, we're, we're losing. They're leaving us. They'll start panicking and the Republicans will start acting like, oh shoot, I think I finally got a chance with that fly honey at the club that always turned me away. Let's <laughs> go get them. <laughs> 
that's out there is the non-voter. And they see not all of them are stupid. They can't all be stupid. And they see that both sides are full of shit. And so definitely, I, 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 I agree a lot with the, you know, just there's the, the party, you know, being, because right now labels are very toxic. And especially in this, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the world that we live in now it, with the, you know, the online world, it's very easy for everybody to just kind of passively look, look at your profile. Oh, see what kind of, uh, you know, icons you got in your profile, make a quick assessment. That's all they got to know about you. You know what I mean? Like we we don't have, we don't treat each other as individuals anymore. You know what's and you know what's funny about? Oh, sorry. Against, I was just gonna just say yeah, being against the, the 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 party label first. I mean, you can still be part of parties, I guess. I don't know. I don't like them, but I think I think the the good point is definitely like we shouldn't start with like hi, I'm so I'm CR and I'm a this and I'm a that. You know what I mean? Off the bat, like. Fuck the fucking label stuff. Fuck, fuck the party shit. Fuck party loyalty. That's that's gang shit. That's that's old. That's old school Throw, stuff. Throwing you know, up gang move on. Well, but we would just want to move past that. Click. You know, I don't. I don't want to just be worried about just my click. I want to be worried about everybody exactly. collectively. You know, well, you know, that's, that's what I experienced at the people's party. To be honest, like they were more worried about self-preservation about like twisting things around and about like there was this idea that it was for good and I'm, I'm not trying to equate that to the green party but you know there is this idea that these candidates have oh we're just going to run as democrats because we're, we're just you know that's what cory bush told me and and you know i heard that from some of the people that are now sitting up there rashida talib we're just running we're not really democrats we're just running because that's how we have to run and i kind of get that because of limitations with ballot access, but at the same time, the party ends up corrupting. And I'm not saying, I, I actually agree with Roger on this, so Justin, no, no offense to you or the Green Party, but I, I do think the labels can be divisive. And I do think that, well, two thirds of our country are registered independent. People are fleeing from both voter rolls. So either yeah. I would like to see, see multiple, multiple, multiple parties or even better, no parties and instead running on policy. But another thing that we have to get rid of, and Roger, you and I have talked about this before, and so have you and I, Sabby, but that's getting rid of the hero worship. Stop yes. that person, yes. that hero that we bank everything on. And when they disappoint us, yeah. everyone's nihilist right now because AOC pissed us off. Bernie lied. So many people are nihilist. <laughs> that the left is turning authoritarian. I swear to God, like it's bad. Mm -hmm. and so, like, no, those are the, no, those are the liberals. Them. Those are the liberals. They're not really the real left because they're, they're, I know they're, that's way the too, they're way too quick. They're way too quick to, to join onto war. They're way too quick to fund the Iron Dome. They're way too quick to fund more guns to Ukraine. We got to still kind of defend our left here over here. We're fucking anti-war. We're not going to let that's these fucking true. fake corporate fucking Democrats people. take that over from us. Because they're trying. I, I, I was on Michael Tracy's call in the other day, and he kept trying to tell me, he's like, well, you know, uh, AOC says that she's the left. So what she does is the left. And the left has been completely <laughs> silent on war. And he's like, the left has done nothing to say anything about the war at all. They've been completely silent. And I said, what are you talking about? And I said, the left, the actual left, he's like, well, what's the actual left? Give me an example. And I was like, uh, I don't know. How about RBN? 
or Jimmy Dore or stuff like that that stay consistently against war no matter what the fucking war is. And he's like, oh, well, some people would say that RBN isn't on the left. So and he just wanted to have a semantic battle with me. Michael about, Tracy, like, I do have to just say this. Michael Tracy came from TYT. So just keep that in mind when you hear his message. And also Michael Tracy Samir Tara Reid. Wow. I, didn't yes. know that. I did not know that. Yes. He was one of the first to do so. I mean, we got it. We got into a heated thing back and forth on his call in because I just told him, I was just like, I reject the fact that you say the left has been completely silent on war. And I was like, no, the people that you're citing are corporate Democrats and they're right. not on the left. And, and I tried to, and he's just like, well, who are you to say what the left is? And I said, they're voting records, they're fucking voting records. If you vote for more weapons for Ukraine, if you vote for the Iron Dome in Israel, that you are for these type of imperialistic war type of things. And we are not. And he goes, well, who are you say the left is? He's like, well, what about this communist country this one time in 1937 that did this imperialistic act? And I said, dude, I'm not going to fight you on history on that. America, as far as the American contemporary left, we're anti-war. And, and he was just like, well, I, I don't know about that because a lot of people who call themselves on the left are anti-war. It, it, it was just like one of those kind of stupid things you feel like you're you're almost like you're you're just not taking yes for an answer here like understand that you know we're we're, we're not in it to like fight over labels over and over again like you know but you want to win internet points so that's all you right so i want to you have to remember <laughs> i i think it's important to to know like when people have the talking points they have sometimes it's important to know where they come from and he's one of those people that came from TYT. Now, some people came from TYT and they evolved after they left TYT. Um, and some people did not. But I will have respect for Michael Tracy when he apologizes to Tara Reid. Until then, he gets no respect from me. Uh, CR, I wanted to piggyback onto something that you said. Someone like me can lead with labels because I have no labels. <laughs> you see, if you took a look, like he was talking about uh, CR, about, uh, oh, I take a look at this person's Twitter account and so on and so forth, right? If you read my Twitter account, you would, you'd be like, I don't know where this guy is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, it just says, because I, I just talk policy. I say, you know, I know, I agree. I agree. I wouldn't you know, say I do that. I was saying, I was saying the like the the, the stereotypical progressive left. Right. Does, I mean myself. Yeah, but, well, yeah, that, no, but you're right. 100%. But do also. I'm a concern. You know, you hear uh, what's his name? The freaking uh, uh, Fox guy the, that's been there for years, Sean. Yeah, he's like, I'm a conservative. I'm a conservative. You know what I mean? And and it's like when you see when you see me, you just and you look can't really get a hold on me which means you have to find out more about me you have to and you know what i'm saying you have to and the thing is with us independence everything is an issue by issue basis i have uh conservative views on certain issues and i have uh, uh progressive or socialist views whatever you want to call it on other issues but it's an issue by issue basis so you are forced to 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 um not put me in a box. If there's a whole bunch of independent person, not a label, right? 
And if if we if independent voters are in a room, right? We it, I mean we are really independent because you know matter of fact, I tell you like this: parties are cattle and canines, are bovines and canines. You can herd them; they run in packs. Independence, we're like cats. You can't herd cats. <laughs> <laughs> Try herding cats. If you can herd cats, I'm like, wow, you're pretty good. So well, if my cats don't listen to me for shit. <laughs> well, there you go. If you have, you know, they just, yeah, I know, they just look at you, lick they pull and be like, whatever. So if um, you have a politician speaking to a room full of independents, we have just blocked your ability to pander to us. You are forced to be honest with us because you're going to say something that those independents over there hate and those independents over there love. Okay. You're not going to be able to get on. So you're just, oh, I can't pander. I'm just going to have to tell it the way I feel it and how I believe it. And I might get some of y'all. I might not be able to get all of y'all, you know, whatever the case is. I mean, unless you're speaking to like a, like a workers' rights group or something like that. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I, I can understand. Well, you know, Roger, yeah. I talked to 30,000 voters, 30,000 voters in the, the six years that I organized for congressional campaigns because I helped like 76 of them or something like that or that I actually called and called for and knocked doors for and stuff. And you know what? I never led on what party they were in ever. And like most of our materials were kind of ambiguous because they were purple because brand new Congress was like purple, but um, always led with the um, policies. And you know what? When I talk to them, just like regular people, I would usually start out with a thing where I would say something like, you know, are you having a hard time getting a primary care physician? Oh, buddy, everyone either doesn't have health care at all or they can't get a primary care physician. Right. Or they got to drive like. 30, you know, they got to drive like three hours to get to one. This is such a common problem that they're like, oh my God, yes, no, I can't, you know, get to the, get the doctors that I need. And then that rolls into why doesn't our taxes pay for healthcare? And then they end up agreeing. And then it rolls into, well, we already have to wait, you know, to see a specialist six months, a year. And everyone has those kind of stories, whether it's about them, their Nana or whoever. And then it rolls into you know what, if we had more doctors locally and we had more nurses locally and we could open up things locally, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Well, why can't our kids go to college to be a doctor? And they're like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's I'm straight. Why can't my kid go to school? So then it rolls into tuition-free college and they're agreeing on tuition-free college. And it's crazy mm -hmm. because regardless yeah. of where they are in the political spectrum, almost everyone agreed with all of that and socializing that at the end of the day, as long as you didn't use those terms, they actually agreed. Exactly. That's why I don't it, like I'm the one who I know. Right. Um, he was running. He, he you know, like he, he's he's an activist. Right. And he decided to run for a state Senate in New York. OK. And I saw him. The motherfucker didn't even like get into office. And I saw him begin to transition over into a politician because I put. I was like, look, I told him, I said, yo, me and you might be cool, but I, in my mind, I separate the politician from the person I'm cool with. I don't go easy on you just because we cool. That's so right. Now I'm, 
I'm talking to you, the politician. Now, if you got an issue with that or whatever the case is, and this you feel that, oh, you know, whatever, how come you attacked me? I thought we was cool or whatever. Nah, nah, nah. I'm talking to you as a voter now. And they and I matter of fact, I knew I knew a couple of people who, who were running. Okay. And I approached them and I said, look, New York State is not a ballot initiative state. Okay. In order for us to be one, you guys gotta put um an amendment before us to ratify that would transform us into a ballot initiative state. Okay. So would you be willing to do that? I, I remember I talked to like a few people who I knew before they ran or whatever, and they didn't, they, they pretty much, they didn't want to give up no power and they're not, and they're running for the first time and none of them won anyway. But, you know, the only person who I spoke to that, that was curious about it and was interested was Kristen Gonzalez. And she was the one that won um, her primary. Okay. Um, and that's, you know, and, and, and that's the thing, because Zeneb, you was talking about walking, going to people's homes, talking about policy, right? So th so this guy, when I, yeah, when I was interviewing him, I had him on camera and he was trying to get off the camera and he started giving me, th now this is the guy that I was telling you at first. He started giving me Andrew Yang answers, talking about, you know, I believe with it in spirit. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Believe it in spirit. Don't give me that. I don't get. I don't. If I want spirit, I go to the church. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? You know what I mean? It's just like, all right. so I showed another friend of mine. I said, okay, I'm not gonna say anything. What do you think of this interview? He said, yeah, I think he's full of shit. Okay, so um, what do you call it? And this is somebody I'm cool with. <laughs> I was, I told him, I was like, I was like, yo, bro, you full of shit. <laughs> you know, and, and so talking about like going. To people's homes and talking about issues and stuff like that i can't oh he wanted me to campaign for him and i'm like eh, i don't campaign for politicians but if we were ballot initiatives i can't sell a politician i can't because i don't believe in them but i believe in the voters ability to be citizen lawmakers and constitutional amenders i can sell a ballot initiative if i show up at your door Okay, and you don't call the cops because you see see a black man showing up at your door. I sell you a ballot initiative if you give me the if you give me the chance because then we're talking about I'm empowering you to pass a law. I'm empowering you to amend our state constitution. I can sell the shit out of that. You know what I'm saying? I would never if we were ballot initiative state. I would never talk to another politician again unless I needed like fill that pothole over there or what's going on with this government agency over there but as far as laws and amendments man i already got a plan written out as to how we can do it you know when you did that um ballot initiative panel okay and um uh, sabrina and um cj and ron was talking about you know the money that's used in in is a you know the thing is it's it's the funding it's the it's just the funding of ballot initiatives and so on and so forth, but sometimes you have to take a look at the glass half full instead of half empty. You see that three dimensional cube where the front goes up and down. Okay, if you cannot, what's that word? If you cannot stop um, big money from financing. Uh, 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 ballot initiatives, right? What you do is, because they say, because, you know, First Amendment does money is speech. It's protected 
so on and so forth. Okay, so I have a plan. I, I actually written out as legislation, okay, for a ballot to how we can be a ballot initiative state. I have written in there where you say, okay, so we can't limit money because of free speech. Money is speech. So how about we do this? Use the 14th Amendment against the First Amendment, where the 14th Amendment is the Equality Amendment that says, yes, you got these rights, but all rights are equal. So therefore, you commission a public financing of ballot initiatives to make it a robust public campaign for ballot initiatives to make it um, competitive with big money, or you just say, no more big money, everyone goes, everyone is made equal through public financing of ballot initiatives. So it's all equal. So, and not putting any cap on it, not putting, like when it comes to matching system where you where you donate a dollar and then the government matches it by $10 or whatever the case is, right? Like no cap where it says, okay, after you, after it gains this much amount of money, then the government stops matching it. Like, no, that's, I thought that's violating the first amendment. You're violating the first amendment by putting a cap on the matching system. You have to, you, the government has to secure our rights. Okay. So we either force everyone through the, the, uh, the, 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 you know, through the public financing of ballot measures using the 14th Amendment against the first so that you satisfy both. Or we just say, OK, you're either going to do big money or you're going to we're going to you're going to finance your ballot initiative through big money or we're going to finance ours through grassroots with multiple matching. You, there's, there's plenty of ways you can do shit. You know what I'm saying? You have to just have the imagination and, 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 and the boldness to think outside the box. You feel what I'm saying? People put up these barriers. I, I, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just going to say we, um, Maine's a ballot initiative state as well. And mm -hmm. um, But it's not a, but Maine's a ballot initiative state, but it's only to pass state law. That's the yes. reason why I said that, it has to be yeah. the ballot initiative states that allow you to amend your constitution through that I process. Yeah. And uh, there's actually, there's, you know, to fully implement my choice voting at the state, we do need to change the state constitution. We have it mm -hmm. for only certain races, right? But the, um, you know, um, I'd, I'd like to talk with you more at some time about ballot initiatives in Maine, because um, there's a couple things that we're working on here with through the Green Party and with other groups. Um, I you know, saw yours, the Pine Barrens, the, the Pine Barrens one where you have um, 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 public, uh, power public power and, is, uh, and Medicare also, for all. We had uh, the, uh, Medicare for all. We couldn't get on the ballot. Um, there was yeah. difficult to get the signatures. I know. But um, yeah, I'd love to talk with you more about that stuff. But um, I wanted to also um, just in regards to running as independents and getting rid of political parties, um, you know, do you see it all like, you know, uh, the way I look at political parties, at least with the Green Party, you know, it's like we have a platform, but candidates can use parts of that platform. They're not totally beholden to it. And I look at it more as like a, you know, organizing strategy for getting candidates elected. Right. And, um, you know, I think, you know, there's merit to saying abolish all political parties. But at the same time, you know, again, like if you're running as an independent and you don't have any people working with you in down ticket races, I think it makes it a lot harder to get elected. And, um, you know, if you have a slate of candidates running in a state, um, you know, under a political party, um, you know, like a Green Party with with a platform that you all more or less agree upon, you know, 
I mean, um, do you see any benefit to that at all? Um, you know, just strategically, you know, how are we going to divvy up these doors to knock on the states? Well, we have, you know, somebody that's running for a congressional seat, but also in that congressional seat, we have all these other, you know, down ticket races going. Um, you know, do you see the well, value in that organization? I want to hear the Sabby's thoughts on that, actually. Yeah, sure. Okay. One thing I got to say really quick. Someone is asking for the definition of a fly honey. Can you explain that, please, Roger? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's the Generation <laughs> X. That's a Generation X thing from the 80s. Like, oh, yo, look at that fly honey. You going to go over there and talk to her? Uh, maybe. You know, it's a girl. It's a, it's a, it's a good looking girl. Thank Get you for that, Roger. <laughs> uh, down ballot. Okay, so I'm in Massachusetts. We do not have ranked choice voting. It was on the ballot for 2020, didn't pass. I talked to people and most people told me they didn't vote in favor of it because they didn't understand the question. And to be honest with you, if I hadn't been tuned into uh, politics, I probably wouldn't have understood the question either. The way they wrote the question, I don't know how the question was written for Maine, but the way they wrote the question in Massachusetts was not easy for people to understand who don't really know about ranked choice voting. So a lot of people were confused and so they voted against it. But I will say like, for example, when I go to vote in November, I'm gonna be voting for the ballot questions for my state. I'm gonna be voting for the local options not so much um i may not vote for a candidate i may just vote for those ballot questions that apply to massachusetts because the candidates they're running the, i'm not really feeling any of those people to be honest with you um you imagine if you had a green though that you could vote for that's anti-war for instance exactly well wait a minute i do is have someone coming on is massachusetts a ballot ballot initiative state Oh yeah, we've got a lot accomplished through ballot oh, initiatives. So, so you're like you're like California, then, like where I'm at. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, but we will actually. I do have someone coming on from the Green Party. Um, she will be here next week. Her name is Gloria Caballero. She's running for AG uh, locally, so you'll get to hear from her. I also have a Green Party candidate coming on this Thursday. She's running for governor of, of Connecticut. Uh, so she'll be on as well. Um, but for me, like my main focus are those ballot initiative questions that are going to impact, impact all of us, like the people, right? And so I think for those of you, if you live in a ballot initiative state, definitely everyone should watch that panel that I did is if you go on my channel, the first page, and you go under that section that says panels, there's a video there that says ballot initiative panel. And it's a group of us live in BI states. And we talked about the things that we've passed via ballot initiative. And some of the things that did not pass, we talk about all the states that are BI states. And we talk about the states that are just like constitutional amendment, right? So there's different, different states have different things. Um, but one thing we'll say, we're going back to local politics. One of the things that I noticed, New York was really trying to push the New York Health Act, right? So Roger Meadows knows a lot about this. People weren't covering this. 
I'm talking about people in independent media that live in New York. Majority Report wasn't covering this. Secular Talk wasn't covering this. That's huge because the New York Health Act didn't just apply to people that lived in New York. It also applied to people that worked in New York, but didn't live in New York. And I was surprised that none of them, I'm like, none of them are covering this? Yep. So that's like, it's important. Like, that's why every now and then I try to let you guys know what's going on locally here. Things that we're trying to pass. Mm -hmm. Roger, I did just hear back from Mass Care earlier today. So for those who don't know, they're trying to pass single payer here in Massachusetts. So I'll be, hopefully I'll be talking to them about that, but I'm telling you, most of these progressive policies that Bernie Sanders and the squad has run on, we have passed locally in Massachusetts. It was really, it was crazy to me to watch Democrat politicians in the Senate vote against a $15 minimum wage when we passed $15 minimum wage in Massachusetts years ago. This is how far behind they are. This is why I tell you guys, you can get it done a lot faster on the local level. And people say, oh, that's only happening in blue states. Uh, Florida, and people like to say Florida's a swing state. Uh, I argue against that. I think Florida is a red state. state. Yeah, it's a red state. Basically, if you look at the, 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 the voting dynamic, it's a red state. Florida passed $15 minimum wage. And they passed um, voters who were recently incarcerated. They gave them their voting rights back. Right. So this is why I'm trying to tell people, like, we have a better chance doing it locally. Same thing with the issue of paid family leave, right? We passed that in Massachusetts. Actually, we didn't even vote on that. That was a legislative uh, Mm -hmm. uh, policy. The, the state legislature passed that and said, we're going to give everybody in Massachusetts paid family leave. So that way the employers don't have to worry about that. So you see how some of these things we've already implemented. Uh, legalizing marijuana, we passed that years ago. That was a ballot initiative. So we passed that years ago and we have numerous cannabis shops now. Like every year there's more and more popping up. So people are making a lot of money off of that. So... Some of these things we've already done. I'm trying to quick... tell you guys how far behind they are with the $15 minimum wage. So here we are years yeah. later and the, the Senate, the Democrats, we don't, we, I didn't expect the Republicans to vote for it. But when you had eight Democrats vote against it, what does that tell you, you guys? It's all about the class dynamic. It's all about the money. See what happens when the money, the corporations control the party? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just going to say this real quick also. So the difference between Massachusetts and California and their ballot initiative is states like California, they they are direct ballot initiative states. So what that means is after a successful petition gathering session, the initiative goes directly on the ballot, whereas Massachusetts, it's indirect. Meaning after a successful petition drive has been done, they present it to the legislature and give them one last chance to pass it, to adopt or reject. If they choose to reject, then it automatically goes on the ballot. Also, let me also make sure one thing is also clear. Every single state is a legislative um, referred. uh, Okay, there's two ways to get 
initiatives like on the ballot, either it's put there by citizens or it's put there by the legislature. Okay, so usually when it comes to amending the state constitutions, all 50 states have to pass, the legislature has to pass it first, then it gets put before the vote of a ratification. So don't think that just because you don't live in the 23 citizen ballot initiative states that you won't have a ballot measure to vote on. Your, late, your state legislature will most likely, most likely put something before you. To, to vote on. You see what I'm saying? So it's always important to still look for it um, um, regardless. And I'd like um, to also mention the the push from people on the outside, the activist groups, where locally this has worked really well. Um, I like to mention gay gay marriage, right? So for people who are not aware, that actually was not a ballot initiative in Massachusetts. We didn't vote on that. What happened was the activist group GLAD sued the Superior Court in Massachusetts because they denied marriage licenses to, I think it was about seven uh, couples that wanted to get married. So that activist group uh, sued the Superior Court. And so the Superior Court, their response was, okay, we probably don't wanna get any more lawsuits. So let's just go ahead and make gay marriage legal. That's how that happened. So you see what I'm saying? This is why I say you also need that pressure from those activist groups as well. You know, um, I I can just add here, um, we were talking about a Green New Deal nowadays and um, Medicare for All because of the Green Party candidates that have run in the past that made it an issue on their campaigns. Um, So I think pressure can come that way to talk about these things and have them, you know, be policies that are talked about at the national level, federal level. Um, and I just want to say, I got to run, uh, I got to work tomorrow. I got to get up at four. So on the oh, East dear. coast, I appreciate all of you though. And um, really love the conversation and I hope we can have more of this conversation going forward. Um, so thanks to all the speakers and thank you, Savvy and good night, everybody. You too. So, um, Sabrina, there's something about your state that I wanted to read real quick. Um, if a statute proposed now this massachusetts is the only ballot initiative citizen ballot initiative state that does this right so they still the legislature is still holding on to a little bit of power if a state proposed if a statute meaning law proposed by a ballot initiative petition is not adopted uh proponents must collect another smaller round of signatures to place the statute on the ballot Now, initiated constitutional amendments following the submission of enough signatures must be approved by one-fourth, I guess that's 20%, I don't know what one-fourth is, uh, must be approved by one-fourth of uh, the legislature in two successive joint sessions to reach the ballot. No secondary batch of signatures is required. So it's like your legislature is, is like, you know, making it like difficult, you know what I mean? To, for, for citizens to, you know, they're having them go through that extra, extra uh, uh, course, but also check this out. Here's something else ballot initiatives can do. Now, if you're familiar with public banks, um, the public bank of North Dakota passed, um, came about in June of 1919. The next time we had a public bank was in 2018 from the Samoan islands. Then after that, I believe it was 2020, um, California passed their public banking bill. 
that gives a permission slip to municipalities to um, to to charter their own public banks. Now, the legislature and Governor Newsom passed that, but they didn't pass it on their own. They passed it because people were pushing for that ballot initiative to do it. And it got real close and they did not want to have the people take the credit for it. They wanted to take the credit for it. So that ballot initiative, which was inching up against them because there was such a hard push for public banking in the state of California to allow people to you know, uh, uh, raise revenues themselves through a public bank, they said, let's beat them to the punch. That wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a ballot initiative for it. So sometimes it forces the government to do what the people want, you know, so. Can, I, ha I have a cautionary tale, if I can, really quick. A quick mm -hmm. caution. I want to make sure, well, I want to make sure I say hello to Brady, because he just joined too. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Do my bad. Hi, Brady. What's up, Sabby? I'm hosting live karaoke right now, so I just got to pop in and pop out. I just couldn't believe there wasn't a line of people in the call-in section. I was like, oh, I got to take advantage, so I'm taking a quick break. We've and been live for a while, Brady. It's it's been it's been a long night. <laughs> I can see that. I appreciate your hard work, Sabby. I mean, I know it is a little bit of work spending time here, and honestly, all the time we spend with you has been really productive. I think this is a great conversation. Um, we've inspired a few people to run as third-party independent writing candidates in a couple other states, and uh, I'm trying to host a third-party debate with Delilah Barrios against Greg Abbott and Beto O'Rourke. But I'm um, kind of working on the, uh, the, the logistics, I guess, the, the programs that I'm going to use to host it. And I was wondering what program you use to host your show, like what programs you use to host. I use what? StreamYard and StreamYard has a free option. So when I first started doing live streams, I used the free option until cool. I was able to make enough on um, Patreon to get the subscription service where I don't have that giant StreamYard logo up in the top oh. corner. Much appreciated. Yeah, we were just going to like Zoom, do like a Zoom meeting and then like record the screen, I like record it. <laughs> but uh, there's like a easier, smoother just, just option. Brady, that I said message me the other day and I'll help you guys set that up. We could either use StreamYard or Restream. Did you message me? Where did you message me on? You did. You did reach out to me. That's right. You mentioned another program, right? It was um, uh, restream, but I reached out to Delilah too. I don't care to help you guys set that up. If you need help setting it up, reach out to me and I'll, I'll help you on the back end to get it right. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think I should have some Discord, free time. Right Discord and OBS. You should have some free time. And I'm really excited to get that up for y'all. I think it's going to be tons of fun. Um, if y'all have any questions you want to ask Delilah, get those ready. Uh, yeah. We're going to take questions at the end. And if y'all write in some good questions ahead of time, I mean, I'll certainly make sure to throw those on the list. And I appreciate everything you guys are doing out here while I'm at work. <laughs> I Brady, wish you could with y'all. Brady, if you make that happen, let me know and I'll share it and promote it. Yeah, we would really appreciate that. That would be good. Um, we could really get some good done because uh, Delilah was just talking today about how Beto O'Rourke supports the prison industrial complex. He sure and does. If, if, if Delilah yeah. is elected as Texas governor, she will pardon every ridiculous drug charge there is. And overnight... Um, we're going to have just, I mean, it would be a beautiful thing in Texas. And we're and Beto, it's, it's and Beto's a taking a bunch of oil money. Beto's taking a bunch of oil money. Don't forget that. It would yeah, be so great by to Exxon. put all that out there. Sabi, we would appreciate that so much. But um, I got to get back to work. Okay.
I love you guys. Y'all doing great. And thank you so much. Keep it up. I'll be in touch. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, for you guys that don't know, um, I finally got to meet Delilah in person at Camp Dada. And she's just as sweet in person as she is on stream. She's awesome. Sorry, CR, I interrupted you. No, no, make sure no, you no, you're, get no, a chance. No, no, you're no, don't, yeah, don't ever have to be sorry. <laughs> I, I talk too much as it is, anyways. But no, I just wanted to kind of like, because uh, uh, um, we, we were talking about all the benefits of validated initiatives, you know, like we got to throw the other side, right? Got to play a little devil's advocate here. And I think this is a, this one's really informative. So, uh, uh, everybody would say, ballot initiative comes on to legalize cannabis vote yes right of course i smoke cannabis we all yeah but no as somebody here in california and has been in the, the cannabis scene for a very very long time uh and uh when it got legalized all of the farmers because i know a lot of them they, they all got decimated. They all got completely destroyed. And all these corporations that could come in with millions of dollars to, you know, open these very sophisticated places that were up to all these crazy new codes. Um, and also going through the process of getting all these kind of things, uh, once cannabis was legalized here in California, it takes a very long time, usually about two years. And I actually know another guy that uh, a friend of mine that I've known for a very long time, and he went through the process, and I think he's probably four million or more into it at this point, getting just through the legalized process of getting all the permits and building the facilities up to all their codes. It's not something that is uh, possible for the average individual. And basically, what it did was is it decimated everybody that had built out cannabis culture here in uh, the San Francisco, Oakland, uh, Bay Area. We got we got completely destroyed. All of my, I, I have so many friends that, that, that work in these things and ran farms and stuff like that and their whole livelihoods have been decimated by these people that just came in with millions of dollars once it was legalized. And it, it, it destroyed them. And the reality is now, I, I voted against legalization when it was here in California. And um, the re I believe in decriminalization because what decriminalization does, it says it's not a legal offense, but it doesn't give corporations the ability to, 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 to engage in that behavior. So I, I, I'm a decriminalization advocate. I'm against legalization because I've seen the devastation that it that it can it can do and and pretty much i would say about 75 percent of the people i know have just given up given up that's a good that's a good point cr about the difference between decriminalization and legalization i will say there was um an organization here in massachusetts um that actually helps african americans open cannabis businesses as well Actually, someone has just started a business called, basically it's Cannabis on the Go. I forget the name of it, but like you can have like cannabis like delivered to you. 
just like DoorDash or Grubhub, but not through those services. But oh, here it was in California, a, and that's been that way for a very long time. It's it's like Uber. Oh wow, yeah, that's it's pretty. That's that's interesting. I say that I don't even smoke weed, but I think that's really interesting. But it was it was African American woman who started it here, and she was just like, this is like, this is this totally changed her life to start that business because, like I said, we had several cannabis shops, but we didn't have like a delivery service, and now there is that so um it's great it's very I, different, I, I, it, it would be good but the, the the bar for entry to get into those businesses here in california the way they set the laws requires you to have millions of dollars as i've talked to people right. that i know that have gone through the process so in order for you to become legal quote unquote you have to go through this process that requires basically corporate money Right. Okay. So Whereas like here is here. It's not so much like that. Like that's why they had, they had organizations that would help people who were like working class or people who were poor, who wanted to start their own cannabis business. They have organizations here that help people get that start. So that, that is it's true. You need the money to start any business. You need money. Right. So I think it was, it was great that they had those organizations come in and help people. Yeah, Oakland, Oakland definitely for those kind of so, where they favor so, people so, because they were disproportionately targeted during the drug war. That was definitely the, the reason why some of those programs are passed here in California. And so, like, we recognize that we kind of fucked you guys over disproportionately during the drug war. So we're going to, kind of, you know, help you out here. So, yeah, there there have been some of those things. But to me, it's 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 still too little. It's like it's. It's still like a Band-Aid on a fucking gunshot. So, CR, so when you said cautionary tale, it's it sounds like um, you were you were saying uh, the problem with ballot initiatives is the is is what could happen on the opposite end. OK, that's that's pretty much what what I gathered. So here's the thing. You could accidentally you could accidentally think that it was a good thing, like oh, legalized cannabis, yes, everybody vote for it. But if if there was two ballot initiatives, and one said legalize, and one said decriminalize, I would tell all my friends, family, everybody, no, 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 do the decriminalize, not the legalize. So the corporations okay. can fuck us, but we didn't have that. So, so everybody I knew voted it. for legalize because they were dumb. Okay, so so got it. That's not a problem with being able to do ballot initiatives, that was just a problem with that particular ballot initiative. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I don't think he was doing it on purpose, but it's, and, and not saying, you know, like, not trying to like, uh, you know, be, uh, what's that word? Antagonistic or whatever the case is. But I heard arguments like that from the very politicians that I was, that that I was speaking about that was that was running and lost, except for Kristen Gonzalez, who was actually like curious about it or whatever. It's fear. You you may not realize it or not, but you're using fear, fear of democracy, fear of direct democracy. Democracy is messy. Sometimes you're gonna get stuff that you like, sometimes you're gonna get stuff you don't like. But at the same time, if you if if we the people pass something through ballot initiative, we always have the ability to say, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. Let's reverse that. Let's do a veto referendum. You see what I'm saying? But totally. You you you, you got me there. I, I will agree with you there. It is a reflexive fear. And I'm and I'm only asking the question, not necessarily asserting yeah. a, a personal view. 
But you're right. right. No, no, you're definitely right. That yeah. that is fear. That is fear on my part. Yeah, because because look, I mean, so like I said, people put these barriers up to me all the time, and I always knock them down. So let's say you're talking about the corporation. The corporation do this. The corporation do that. Okay. Well, how about this as a ballot initiative? Um, the commissioning of a government agency that called the Cooperative Business Administration that does for co-ops what the Federal Small Business Administration does for small businesses um, to help startup co-ops get started and on the ground running, giving them money, giving them whatever they need, counseling, uh, tax consultation, training, all that different type of stuff, pretty much kind of like what the United States Federation of Worker Cooperatives does, but on a mass scale so that they can outcompete corporations and put an end to them. Okay. I understand something. Um, when people say antitrust, I say nationalized. When people say unionization, I say worker co-ops. When people say Medicare for all, I say nationalization of, of, of healthcare. You see what I'm saying? So I'm always to the other side. You see what I'm saying? So my thing is, yeah, I say party abolishment, but I also believe in corporation abolishment as well and just nationalize the banks. So to me, because like I said, when I said that partisanship is a party or at the core, second core rot, the other core rot is Wall Street and the corporations. Instead of, I'm not interested in regulating them. I'm not interested in doing antitrust with them. I want to abolish them altogether because they are the ones that keep causing these problems. You feel what I'm saying? Whether we, they, you know, the CIA is the henchmen of corporations that go and do coups and all that stuff. So when you got the Supreme Court making these decisions on their, on their behalf, all of these things that are set up are being bodyguards for the corporation. So let's do this. Let's replace them with worker cooperatives then. Now there's nothing for them to protect. Then we won't have these, we'll probably have new issues. You know, I don't see what those issues are yet. You see what I'm saying? But if, if corporations are doing this and that, then let's boost up um, worker cooperatives. Matter of fact, uh, Sabrina, in that you were talking about the New York Health Act. Um, I don't know if you know. Well, yeah, I think you know. The Medicare for All, the Massachusetts Medicare for All does the same thing, where if you work in Massachusetts, yep. you get covered also. That's right. Or, also, the Massachusetts Public Banking Act bill, that has a section in there in assisting worker cooperatives in getting off the ground. So, you know what I'm saying? So you can have cooperatives and public banks work in um, tandem with each other. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm not sure if people know how a public bank works because, you know, because I always say it all the time. So, um, you know, uh, Zeneb, I don't know if you know how it works or whatever the case is, um, but I'll explain it real quick. 49 states, um, and this goes for municipalities also, 49 states send their taxes to downtown Manhattan, Wall Street, Pearl Street, Gold Street, Water Street to get processed. Reason being? The credit unions and community banks don't have the processing capabilities to process all those taxes. So our taxes are upholding Wall Street on a regular scale. I'm not talking about when the government comes in and gives them money. I'm talking about state governments and municipalities sending their taxes there to get processed. So then they send the taxes back with a high interest rate. So now governors, mayors, uh, county executives have to figure out, okay, how am I going to pay for these 
this high interest rate fee. So they either have to raise taxes or they have to um, cut back on social services or whatever the case is, or they start privatization. Okay. The only state that doesn't do that since June of 1919 is the bank of the public bank of North Dakota. By law, those taxes don't leave the state. They get deposited in the bank of North Dakota. So just and banks do this magic trick. They create money out of thin air, just like when Dr. Kaboob was on your show, Sabrina, and she said, banks, uh, what he, he said that uh, the Congress and the Treasury Secretary can mm-hmm. mint a coin. He also said they bring that him also, back on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he also said that they can, um, they give bank licenses to banks to print money, okay? So when they get that charter from the federal government to, 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 to you know, create money or whatever, what happens is those taxes get um, deposited into the public bank of North Dakota, then they get marked up, and then they are issued out as lines of credit to finance infrastructure in the public sector, which creates jobs in the public sector, which generates state income taxes, which those state income taxes goes to the public bank of North Dakota, repaying the loan that was issued to it in the first place that created its job, while the small interest slides over to the state of treasury department. You do that over and over and over again. You build a surplus in your economy without having to raise taxes or create new taxes. This is how the Bank of North Dakota prospered during the Great Depression, prospered, not survived, prospered during the Great Recession, the booms and busts of the 20th century. They, they prospered during the 1987 savings and loan scandal. They prospered during the uh, 2000.com crash. They prospered during the 2008 subprime mortgage crash because they insure credit unions and community banks. So they don't do FDIC. They do SDIC, state. DIC because the state backs them up. So as a result, none of their credit unions and community banks failed during the 2008 subprime subprime mortgage crash because they did not divvy and play in those derivatives and so on and so forth. As a result, they got North Dakota got more public uh, more credit unions and community banks per capita than any other state in the country. And I forgot what years it was, but there was an amount of years where the public bank was more profitable than Goldman Sachs. Okay, yeah, they would- I want to. Mm-hmm. I was just going to add in something because you mentioned North Dakota. I want to add in something here, and I want to also make sure uh, I bring in Marco as well because he had something to tell you about worker co-ops. But I wanted to add that. A friend of mine moved to North Dakota about three years oh, ago. Yeah. And he lived I remember there. you told me. Yeah, he lived there. I was like, why the fuck did you? <laughs> it was just random. Uh, yeah, I, I moved to North Dakota. And I was like, why did you move to North Dakota? And he said, because there's a lot of money to be made here. I was like, um, okay, whatever. And he moved to North Dakota, hated it socially. He hated the social life. You got to keep in mind, he's moving from Charlotte, North Carolina, where people are particularly friendly, it's Southern, but it's still like city, that kind of thing, to North Dakota where there's there aren't as many people, right? So he Mm -hmm. moved there, basically lived there for two years, made his money and then moved back to North Carolina. And he said it was the best decision he ever made. He was like, dude, I moved North Dakota. He was like, you don't understand how much money you can make here. He's like in North Dakota. And I think he he was probably exaggerating or I thought he was, but I don't know. He said in North Dakota, there's more jobs than people. Mhm. Yeah, I believe it. You know, because there was I forgot the years. I don't got the stats in front of me, but 
they was they was I was looking at this chart where it showed um, between certain years states what states spent and cut in public education. So I remember North Dakota was like at ninety something percent of of financing public education, and the next one after that was Massachusetts at like thirty percent, and everyone else was below thirty percent for funding public education across the state. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. I want to bring you in too. I know you had something to say about your work or co-op. Yeah, yeah, Roger. I just want to let you know I'm a I'm a member of a worker cooperative, and we just became unionized. So, like, we okay. want to organize in our union to get the union to start worker co-ops, and also unionizing for a worker cooperative is very beneficial. Like, mm -hmm. uh, when you start a business, you might have just a few people, but and it's expensive to get health insurance, but if you join a union, you can get like really cheap health insurance for your worker co-op. So like, mm -hmm. like unions and worker cooperatives have been baked in together because the Knights of Labor were the first union of the United States and they were explicitly a union that was trying to create worker cooperatives to seize the means of production. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I'm gonna but bring me, in okay. Ken, Ken Prime as well, and then Ken's gonna be the last caller. And after that, I'm gonna have to head out because I I do realize the time. But Ken, you have to unmute, hon. Hey, what's up, you dumb fucks? How you doing tonight, you stupid bluthers? <laughs> what? Hey, black man! It's a black man. We got one black man in the room. Okay. Good stuff. What's up, fuckface? Look, Sabrina. Right. You put the makeup on tonight, baby. Thanks for your call, Ken. Hey, Thanks. yeah, yeah. Shut up, you goofy-looking fuck. Look at that motherfucker. Sometimes <laughs> they're trolls, y'all. Wow, Sabby, you're getting popular. You're getting um, <laughs> you're, you're you're getting trolls now. That's how you have trolls. Yeah. That's amazing. That was so totally. random. That was so random. Okay, Cr, say what you were going to say. I, I, Sorry. I, got, I got yeah. I got a quick, I got a quick easy one here for us, like. So, uh, uh, like I said earlier, I think when we were talking that um, 2008, I think, was like the last time that I really voted for a Democrat with Obama. But over the last 20 years, what has voting for Democrats really got us? Right. We haven't really got anything from it. And people always talk about like, oh, why vote for the green? They're not going to win. But had we started back 20 years ago and said fuck it, we're going to just stop fucking with the duopoly. Right? Now we would be somewhere different. Instead, we're always looking at, like, the next election. You know, oh, in 2024, what can we do? You know, uh, maybe we can pick up a few seats here and there. And I agree that we should be going after these local elections, like, you know, uh, Justin and some of these other people were talking about earlier, 100%. But I think we need to get rid of this mentality of like every cycle has to be a win. We need to start just standing on our principles and do that through the decades. Because I, I, I realize I didn't really do that. I've been very wishy-washy for the last 20 years. And I honestly could have done so much more. You know what I mean? And, I, and, and when I look around at the people that I know that are even marginally politically active, they could have done so much more in the last 20 years, instead of just voting for Democrats and, you know, 
holding our fucking ass and wishing. So I, I think at this point, we need to start looking at the long game. Stop focusing so much on inside baseball. Does that make any sense? Um, I'm looking right now, just to what you're speaking to. I'm looking right now because uh, someone shared with me a post from Ayanna Presley um, where she was literally saying that people can buy homes now and they can um, buy a home, grow families, build generational wealth, plan for the future. These are some of the life-changing opportunities that millions will now have thanks to have access to thanks to POTUS's plan to cancel student debt. Since when the hell did did he for one say he was going to cancel debt and two all over her page she's been celebrating this win and it was $10,000, right? That was only going to be given to certain people. But that just why I bring this up is because even these politicians will celebrate wins that aren't wins. You know, they will gaslight the hell out of us. And um, there's a lot of people on her her page following for it. But, you know, they'll lie and they'll they'll give us breadcrumbs and then they'll say that it's a great victory, knowing damn well that it's not really helping anyone. And you notice those words, you know, access to and build generational wealth and, you know, um, no, that's not going to happen. We're still not going to be able to buy homes because, one, the credit industry is so messed up that none of us have credit because of our student loans. <laughs> Hardly any of us can buy homes um, as millennials. But then the second thing is, is that, you know, um, if you're from generational poverty, you don't just all of a sudden manufacture generational wealth. So there's just so much gaslighting. And so that goes back to focusing on the things that we can do and the things that we can do locally, because these people will distract us with the shiny thing and act like we're winning when we're, they're not really doing anything for us. Right. That's a good point. And I'm going to wrap up here in just a second. But I do just want to say Anna Presley has been one of the biggest disappointments for me because I did live in her district at the time that she was running and I told people to vote for her. And I really believed in her. I really did. Because when she was a city councilor here in Boston, she actually got a lot of things accomplished. She was actually a fighter, more of a fighter than she is now. And you see what happened when she made that switch from local to national politics. And this is why I tell people you can do a lot more on the local level. But once you go into D.C., the halls of Congress, uh, things change. You don't have as much control, but she's been a, a huge disappointment to me. I never thought she would sell out like this. And it, it really sucks. I thought out of all of them, that original group that went in, because Cori Bush came in the second time around, that original group that went in, I really thought Ayanna Presley was the one that really had the teeth uh, to, to fight back. And yeah, she fooled me and she fooled a lot of other people too. And it, it sucks. It really does suck. Background? Sorry, I just a quick question. What was her background? Like, what did she do before she ran for office? She was a city councilor in Boston. She was a city councilor here. Um, her and AOC have some things in common. Like, both of them went to Boston University. Ayanna Presley, I don't believe, uh, graduated. She was assaulted while she was at BU, and she reported it, and the university didn't do anything about it. But now the university praises her because she's in Congress. See, there are a lot of things that went on that people don't know in reference to, like, um, 
Ayanna Presley and AOC in reference to like their BU time. I know these things because I worked at BU. So I knew like, like AOC, like her story wasn't completely true. I told you guys about this before. She, she had a startup, like she wasn't just a bartender. And Ayanna Presley wasn't just some Hold working on, class person. You told, you told me about this before? Hold on. I haven't yeah. heard this one in a while. Give us a quick, just a quick little recap, please. Sorry. She wasn't. So I've talked about this more so on my YouTube show, but AOC was not what she was she was painted to be like she wasn't just this working class girl that grew up in the Bronx that was a bartender AOC went to Boston University she grew up in a suburb outside of New York City she may have been born in the Bronx but she grew up her parents moved to that district in particular because the schools were really good which is not uncommon right so mention that she didn't say that she gave this impression that she was this rough and tough girl that grew up from the Bronx and she just happened to be really smart and make it to be you. And she was a bartender. And I, for one, know, having worked in admissions, particularly at Boston University, I know there are certain schools that BU targets in New York City. And if you are coming from the Bronx, they usually target the math and science school in the Bronx. So her story i knew from the, like something doesn't add up there then i came to find out she didn't go to school in the bronx she grew up in the suburbs outside of new york city her dad was in was the president of the architect firm that he worked at and so she likes to talk about the fact that her mom cleaned houses and i'm not saying that that's not true but she leaves out the fact that her dad was the president of the architecture firm that he worked at that's important for people to know. It wasn't like she just lived in this poor, like, you know, place. I know people from the Bronx, okay? And none so of them, and none of them have said, they will tell you, I never saw that woman. You see what I'm saying? You know, yeah, totally. You know, but you know what the, the, the right wing trope was that, oh, she didn't work at the bar. She owned the bar. How much truth was there to that? Uh... Because you know what I'm saying? Like, that was the big thing. Everybody's like, oh, she wasn't a bartender. She actually owned part of it. And then I saw there was all these back and forth articles online of whether or not AOC actually worked at the bar or owned part of the bar or was LCR, family. I can answer that. I wrote her bio. I was her press director. Go ahead. Um, I so I know what she – and Sabby's exactly right. Like, she was on it before most people were. <laughs> She's seeing it. She's like, uh-uh. Um, but – she, uh, she, I don't know. All that I know is she told us that she told me that I heard that directly from her that she owned the bar. It was somewhat a, a kind of a co-op, but it was like a two person co-op. Um, it was my understanding, but I was told from her. Now, I don't know if she told me the truth because I haven't been able to back that up. But, but I can't it, say for a fact she told me it's that. Like she I said, me. I am a bartender. Did that strike you immediately where she said, like, I'm a bard? Like, when she, when you saw her well, running, you're like, I, you're like, wait a minute. You're not a bartender, motherfucker. You're a I, part of bar owner. I, yeah, you know what I'm I saying? Was, like that. Yeah, I was writing her bio. And the way that it happened was that 
Shoycott and Corbin, who were like the founders, they were on it with me because they were often on the bio calls with me. Like I wrote Corey Bush's first bio, for instance. Like I wrote all in Paul Jeans, I wrote all the candidates' bios. I wrote almost all of our policy. I led the Medicare for All, Abolish Ice, 21st Century Bill of Rights, and Green New Deal campaigns. So like I was, I've been like the messaging, like a messaging apparatus on the left. And I wrote her bio. And she, uh, when we were in the call, um, she wanted to present herself as like a small business owner, but Corbin wanted to present her as a, he said, just call yourself a bartender. And I thought that that was weird, but I was still new to this, right? I came straight out of journalism and into politics, you know, into this place. And um, I was like, well, that's strange, right? Um but I had only been working there for about three weeks. So this was way before I was seasoned and know everything I know now, but it never, that struck me as wrong. And that was the only bio that we did that in. That's the only one that we, you know, they had me kind of tweak it to where I didn't feel like it was accurate. If that makes any sense. None of the other candidates were like that, just AOC. And uh, yeah, she's, she's very not authentic. And I wrote all of her speeches. I used to coach her till three or four in the morning on all of her talking points. So if you go back and you watch her old speeches and people have pointed out to this, this to me, cause they know me by now that, yeah, they can tell there's a, a huge departure. So there's probably new people writing most of what she's saying. Now she, she memorized it. She would act it out, do my hand gestures, facial expressions and everything. No other candidate did that. Every other candidate I would coach would put things in their own words and I would get to authentically who they were. I wasn't really able to do that with her. It's like she was acting. But yeah, it goes back all the way back to that bio. And, and what Sabby said is absolutely true. As far as owning the bar, I haven't been able to back that up. All that I know is what the woman said to me herself. I, I really, yeah, that's why I'll say that was the best answer ever. Sorry, this ahead. is exactly why you will never, certain shows would never bring me on to talk about the Justice Democrats because. I've talked about this before on my YouTube show a couple of times that like I worked at BU. I worked at BU for five years and I, I was academic advisor, but part of that job is also admissions. So I know the schools and the zip codes that they recruit from. So when it comes to the Bronx in particular, there is primarily one school that they target and that's that math and science school in the Bronx. And that's for kids that are they live in the Bronx, but they are highly, uh, highly intelligent when it comes to math and science. In fact, um, Raul Fernandez, who's a professor at BU, that's where he came from. That's how he actually became a student at BU and is now a professor at BU. And he's now running for office and he is good friends with AOC. I got the pictures and everything on LinkedIn. I can show you. So see, they don't they don't want to hear from people like me because I would let their audience know, listen, Kyle Kalinske, Jink Uger, you guys lied. You guys lied about AOC. And I believe they knew exactly who she was. And you sat up there and you let your audience believe that these people were working class. Most of these people were not working class. Like I tried to tell people before with the exception of someone like Cori Bush and Paula Jean Swearingen. But if you notice, they didn't put a lot of focus and energy into those particular candidates. They no, and those candidates, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, I was just going to tell them that like, they put most of their interest into AOC. And then also, not only that, if you pay attention to who endorses who, you notice AOC did not 
endorse Cori Bush. Correct. Why would a Justice Democrat not endorse a fellow Justice Democrat? Nope. And she didn't endorse. There were a whole bunch of working class candidates, Sabs, that ran like we had probably 20 of them, 25 of them that I love. Anthony Clark from Chicago. We had Rick Trevino in Texas. We had Eva Pitsova. Um, We had so many really good ones that were actually like legit working class community organizers that re-recruited, that were organizers in their community, that were nominated by their communities. Now, they told us that AOC was one of those people nominated, but guess what? They handpicked her, and she was friends with Shoycott. And Mm -hmm. I only needed 15,000 votes to win, and someone like Anthony needed 165,000 to beat um, to beat Danny Davis. So, but she in the beginning wasn't that popular. And guess what she did? She grifted off the fundraising that Paula Jean raised because Paula was really popular taking on Mansion, And she, they gave money from Paula's race that she ran to build apparatuses and infrastructures to push for AOC. Then after AOC won, they were like, yep, that was what we did. We used all these other candidates to get her elected. And we were like, yep. Bill? And if you pay attention, if you guys ever get a chance to watch that documentary, Knocking Down the House, if you notice, even though they featured four uh, candidates and Amy uh, Viella was one of them, she wasn't working class either, by the way. And and she did disclose that on the documentary. She said she was a CFO, financial like her officer. Design, like a designer of the dress. She was a financial the, officer. You know how much they yep. made? And she wasn't recruited savvy. They started bringing on these candidates that self-ran, that decided to run on their own instead of us having to recruit and talk the candidates into it. The people that we talked to that were actually nominated by their community, like Paula Jean had 19 nominations. I think Anthony Clark had 36. I had 47, (laughs) which is funny. But Anthony Clark had 36, and I didn't run. But Anthony Clark had 36. Um, But Amy Valella was already running. And they endorsed her. So she wasn't someone we recruited. Kara Eastman, she was already rich. And she wasn't someone that we recruited. They just brought her on already running. Yep. The, uh, Michaela Wilkes now, she was an exception and she was already running. But all a lot of these people we brought on that were already running, Sabrina, weren't. And, you know, Sheila um, Cornelius, I can't think of her last name. She I know was, you're talking about. Yes, in Florida. Did you know she self-funded her campaign at $4 million? I heard that. The PNC endorsed her? I heard that. But see, this is the problem. And this is why I say again, too, also, um, in reference to the people that they chose to, like, focus on. If you look at someone like Joe Manchin, who was obviously more of a threat than Joe Crowley, why the hell would you not put more of the focus and attention on Paula Jean Swearingen? Who has been more like problematic to legislation, progressive legislation? It's been Joe Manchin, not Joe Crowley. And they it, didn't put, they, they really did not want to put the focus on Paula Jean Swearingen because she was actually the real deal. You guys see the problem? Look at what they did to Cori Bush. Cori Bush is on Twitter in a video you know, dancing around and clapping, excited about her book. This the same woman that came from the Ferguson riots? This the same woman that was in the streets marching with the people, talking about defunding the police? She's not even allowed to talk about it now. Cori Bush would have been better off. Baking? 
if she ran for local office instead of national office. She would have been able to help people more in her community if she ran locally. And I found out recently, which I did not know this, and it was one of you guys who told me this, I didn't know that Corey Bush's family was also in politics. Yep. That's what I, that's what I want to know. Was she faking? That's my question. That's my quick well, question to you, Savvy. Was she faking? Corey, so, Corey do you think she was, she was thinking faking? Was she playing the fucking politician game when she Corey was out there protesting with those people? Corey wasn't faking, but I'll tell you something that happens to these candidates. Corey's a friend. She is a friend of my the fucking voting daughter. record is the voting record is what it is. Well, that's all. Let I me go ahead. That's okay. Go yeah. Ahead. Oh no, it's okay. Um, Corey's my friend. Like I know her very, very, very well. And um, one thing that I can say is Corey wasn't faking, at least in the beginning, but that politic vein that you're talking about, Sabrina, that was there. And Corey was a little different than the other candidates. Corey was one of the people that wasn't recruited but selected because she ran for office. This is what I'm telling you is different. The recruited candidates that we had to actually kind of ask to run and beg to run were completely different than the ones who wanted to run. You see what I'm saying? Mm. She was one of the ones who wanted to run and they endorsed her and brought her on. And we did launch her campaign already ran for that Senate or that she had ran for Senate before already, but her dad was in politics, but I think Corey was authentic, but also she had, she had, she wanted to be a politician, right? So like Paula Jean didn't want to be a politician. It took us seven months to convince her to run. And you could see the difference. You can see the difference. I want to bring in Andrew. Andrew, you're going to be the last caller, and then we got to head out. You just got to unmute. Hey, Savvy. Thanks for. I um... hello. Hey, I missed a lot of the um, beginning of this episode, but I've talked with everyone on the panel. Well, actually, I'm not sure if I've talked to Roger so much. So what's up? But we've talked third parties before, so I have thoughts, but I didn't want to derail the part that we're talking about right now well roger is based andrew <laughs> <laughs> right on oh let me just say um, real quick real quick earlier it looks like aoc used the j-lo strategy because that's what a lot of people said about j-lo how she talks about she's from the south bronx and people's just like ah, oh, that chick is from the suburbs in westchester something like that i just want to say that real quick <laughs> I got to agree. The Bronx, She's... Bronx. Don't be fooled by the rocks that I got. Go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. No, it's good. Uh, I was trying to recognize the song, but I don't know if you all have seen that that new kind of meme thing where you have someone tipped in a chair, like almost tipped back into a pool and you play a song and then you pause the song and they have to sing. And if they fuck it up, then you just drop them in the water. <laughs> I, I would have got that. dropped in the water. <laughs> you never heard Jenny from the block? I'm still Jenny from the block. Mm, that sounds like something my aunt would have played for me, but I don't know that's <laughs> I I would definitely be getting dunked in the water head first. Yeah. <laughs> I was I just going to say Oh yeah. This bro, this dude's 18, right? I have a question for Zaneb real quick. Oh, well wait a minute. Oh, Roger, let uh Andrew Andrew goes. Oops, my bad. Go. Sorry. Andrew. 
No, you're good, Roger. I was just going to say, um, I have been working on some, you know, various like uh, mutual aid projects since 2019. And I was very much, um, I had very much uh, passed on the idea of doing anything with a political party for quite a while. But I got to say, like, having lived in Mexico for the last, like, geez, uh, 10 months. And like now I have a lot of family here and I'm starting to understand more of the political landscape and, and like how Morena just kind of came up to from not being a party at all to winning the, uh, the presidency and a majority of the Congress and like most of the governorships and they're about to win a few more <clears throat> and then seeing what they're doing with that. I have been changed back the other way where I'm like, I'm still, you know, I'm not giving up on any of the community mutual aid projects type of thing in the U.S. because it's sorely lacking there. And I think that it's going to be the, the you know, g- getting people fed, putting a little bit of money back in their pocket uh, and starting to produce like really super local decentralized resources, whether it's a little bit of like diesel from uh, cooking waste or peanut oil or whatever, or whether it's like you know, all of a sudden after a year and a half or two years, like a neighborhood that was a food desert is having like 25% of its food made locally. All that stuff is super important, but I think I've changed my mind from thinking that maybe the best a third park could offer is like a few candidates to roadblock stuff. Like, you know, if there were like five Matthew Ho's in Congress, like that would be great. But I've started to shoot my sights a lot higher when it comes to what could a third party accomplish in what time frame. I think we definitely need to get out of the the merry-go-round of like every two years, there's a pretty major election. Every four years, there's a presidential election. And we're like, dang, well, we can't win in the next three years. So let's just deal with like Democrats for now and then see what happens like three years from now. We need to embark on a mission that is not going to supplant. It's not going to replace mutual aid. It's going to complement it and it's going to be complemented by mutual aid and it's going to take several years. I think we have to be okay with that. And I think that, um, I think that we should, we should be open to the possibility or the likelihood that we're not going to win, you know, win big right away. Uh, but I don't think we should be saying, well, a third party can like push the Democratic Party left the way that it works in, you know, parts of Europe where there's five or six small to mid-sized parties that make up the parliament and then they have to make coalitions. Like, I really, really do think that we can ask for and gain a lot more than that. But anyways, that's, I, was, I, I said a lot um, and I came in late, but that's just, that's my general thoughts. Hmm. I think those are good points, Andrew. Um, I think that when, well, those of us at RBM, when we talk about like third party strategy, I think there's a lot of focus on nationally, you have to win. And what we're asking is like, just to even like get that percentage to get to the debate stage, right? Like Ross Perot did. Ross Perot got 18%, right? We need somebody to get at least 15%. And just to get people to hear them, right? And the idea is just to shake the duopoly up. And it worked. 
with Ross Perot. Now, granted, he's a billionaire, but it worked with Ross Perot because had it not been for Ross Perot, George Bush Sr. most likely would have won. You you needed to have someone to take those votes away. And so Ross Perot did that. I know people who voted for Ross Perot, so he got a good chunk of the votes. So the idea is like, we really need to get them to get to the debate stage, right? But also like what I've been telling people is that we need to focus more on local politics instead of national politics. On the local level, third party and independent candidates have a better shot. And you can get a lot more done accomplished locally than you can nationally. So we talked about how some of the states on the state level have already passed some of these progressive policies that Bernie Sanders ran on, that the squad members ran on. We've already passed them on the state level. So I think if we're looking at how can we do this the fastest, I think we need to focus more on the local level. So that's what we've been um, kind of going towards. Uh, anyone else up there, feel free to jump in. I'm going to wrap up in about five minutes. Here, all I'll say is definitely you have to you have to think think globe you know globally, but act globally, whatever you know that cliche, whatever that kind of shit is. But yes, obviously they're rigging they're rigging the national elections, but in ground on the local level, then we're going to continue to build that shit up. Because there's many other countries that, you know what I mean, that had third parties now risen, you know what I mean, to, uh, 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 you know, national, you know, pre- pre- getting the presidencies and that kind of bullshit. So we just don't have to worry about so much the next fucking cycle. We have to think farther ahead. It sucks. It's a fucking shit, but I think we can do it. Uh, Zineb, I want to ask something real quick. Marie Newman, Justice Democrat, she got a uh, freshman, freshman uh, uh, congresswoman. Uh, she got redistricted, so she lost to her primary. What are your thoughts on her? Oh. Ech. Uh-oh. <laughs> I didn't like her from the beginning. I never liked Marie. She's she's a liberal. She's fake. She, everything on her platform had access to this, access to that. You know, she was stereotypical politician. And I don't know. I mean, but I, I'm, I'm bitter. And, you know, that's why I joined Brand New Congress. I was already bitter with politics. I hated it. So I was like, let's, oh, we're going to recruit people that don't really want to run. Let's do it. But Marie, she wasn't someone recruited. There has been a difference. I'm not insulting anyone who decides to run because there are some good people. But like I said, I have noticed a difference. Sometimes with candidates, there's narcissism. And there's, they're focused more on fame than they are doing the thing. You know, they like want to be the leader. They want Marie was one of those people. Unfortunately, that's just how I feel about her. And the problem with those kinds of people is they're not going to fight for the legislation because they're going to want to keep the seat and they're going to kowtow to the party, which I feel like she has done in a lot of ways. So I don't know. Um, I wish that I couldn't, I wish I could be more optimistic, but you know, it's really difficult, but like, like we were just talking about with local races and Roger, I know you're going to agree with this hundred percent anyway, but at the state level, at the state houses is where they're passing almost everything that's impacting us the most right now. And we're not looking at it and it's insane stuff. Like I mentioned earlier, where they're rolling back marriage dates to like 
so that child marriages can happen. They're, you know, regressing marital rape. And I know that these don't sound like quote unquote economic issues. And the left is saying we need to focus on only economic. But hell, you guys, if they're taking away rights and raping children and like doing this stuff, that's insane. That's insane fascism. And you know what? Yes, it does have economic impacts. And yes, it does have emotional and it's unethical. So we got to look at just beyond the economics when they're taking away human rights. We still have mm-hmm. to pay attention to that as, as well. And so like, you know, with someone like a Marie Newman and all of that, I go with what you always say, Roger, and that's pay attention to the local, pay attention to the local. And that's your message. And I, and I, and I, that's what I think about Marie too. Like it's state and local. State and local, because you know what? The presidency, all of this matters. The funding to Ukraine matters. We should talk about it some, but that's all we're talking about. People are already talking about 2024 while state houses. And okay, in New York, someone someone from the uh, her, um, Uhuru movement, I'm going on their show tomorrow. And they're they, awesome. Yeah, I love them. They just messaged me because um, we're going to talk about it a little bit tomorrow at a Rikers and in New York, they're starting to go ahead and jail people and bypass trials completely. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. Now you know voting, something yeah, state that and local I did not know. State and local is the key thing that we need to focus on right now because mm-hmm. they've, rigged the, they've rigged the national elections 100%. S- Sabby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zeneb just got ahead of me on something in New York that I didn't know about. I knew about it. Uh, okay, you did too. So I got to look into that. You know why yeah. people don't pay attention? You know how people really don't pay attention to state and local? Because we don't teach state civics in school. We only teach federal civics. Oh, they, well, ever- they did. They did when I lived in. A long ass time ago. I, I oh, will say they taught, they taught states. I went to high school in North Carolina. They did teach state civics in North Carolina. We, we never did. I can't say that for York. every state, though. We never did. Yeah, that that's part of the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you, like, at least back during that time, like, what was possible uh, in mm-hmm. North Carolina locally, right? Um, I'm not sure about Massachusetts. I have to ask my husband about that because he, he grew up in Massachusetts. I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, we had a class when I was in ninth grade, and it was called Civics. And it was just about North Carolina laws. Now, I remember wow. that. In fact, we had uh, a mock trial in that class. We had to do a mock trial. I had to be a lawyer. And then it was, just, we had a jury and everything. Like, yeah, they really made this practice. But you guys also have to understand, like, I was on the debate team in high school. So I was very... Again, like I, I was a liberal at that point, right? Like I thought I was on, I was doing the right thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, we had to, we were exposed to that like earlier on because I was on the debate team. So it was something to keep in mind. Sabby, you and I yeah, should the, start debating. I know. Okay. So hear me out. I know I hate the debate bros, but we can call it debate 
we can call it debate host. Wait, listen. <laughs> Everyone's watching the debate because they're not watching news, and we can bring people on and then trick them into watching news, and we can call it the debate host. And uh, you and I can start it, and we can bring some others on. <laughs> oh my! Oh my God! Do you know how we would get a tag Zineb? They would be like, they would say. Oh my God, look at these women call themselves hoes. That's so degrading. I'm a wash. Yeah, maybe that's nice. not the best name. <laughs> it is funny. It is funny, though. You need to do some stand up. Where, where you going, Rod? I'm going to go watch some hoes on TV. If I, if, if, if I could say one last thing and then I'll definitely shut up now, uh, is that. Um, are, 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 Sabi, are you a Marxist-Leninist? Are you into that kind of crowd? Would you can classify yourself that? Oh, Lord. Last time I brought this up, somebody got really angry. Um, so technically, leaning, leaning towards that kind of thing, maybe. Te yeah. Technically, those of us at RBN, that's what we would say we are. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, this is just, it's a little slightly ancillary, but the, the little quick, quick point that I would say is, it wasn't that it, uh, it was a very short time, something like six weeks, after Lenin said, I don't think I'll ever see the revolution in my lifetime, right? Mm. And he never thought that he was going to see it. And and I was listening, at, this was uh, uh, it reminded to me when I was watching uh, Chris Hedges interview Roger Waters recently. And, uh, um, you know, Roger Waters was kind of asking Chris Hedges, like, well, what's going to be the thing? And then he kind of brought up the thing about, like, I have no idea. And then the quote from Lenin, right, that I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. And then it was like six weeks later that the uh, uh, that, that revolution happened. So I, my, my advice to everybody would be, is like, we don't know what it's going to be. We don't know what the spark's going to be. And we can't we can't ascribe one ideology one way, one way or another to it. You know, we know that there has there has to be a breaking point. Capitalism cannot stand. It's it's at late stage right now. And, and and we just have to be open to whatever that is. You know what I mean? I think like right now a lot of people are very still want to draw lines, party lines. So you can't join our party unless you this or that. We've got to be open to everybody right now because we don't know what the spark is gonna be. Just like Lennon said, I don't know what the spark is gonna be. I don't even think it's gonna happen in my lifetime. I want to almost believe the same thing. It's not going to happen in my lifetime, but I would be pleasantly surprised. Sabi, I think the, the, the better answer would have been to say it depends on the issue. <laughs> Revolution, brother. I'm not talking about one issue. I'm talking about overthrowing this dysfunctional system that capitalism no, is no, not I mean, serving when, us. You I'm, know what I mean? Right. When, when you asked her, are you a Marxist or Leninist or whatever? You know what I mean? That that's what I meant. I think the better answer would have been it depends on the subject. Can we all just agree on something? Can we all just agree that Jill Stein was based? Yeah. Yes. Also, Roger, you just uh you just made up a another like lefty show, which is Leninist. And it could be like uh, it could be like sports and politics, and just have like goofy Lenin stuff. And it's like the uh, the assist. I don't know. I I guess the assist would okay, be like Ross Perot. Ross Perot gave uh, gave the Democrats the assist in ninety two. 
I don't know. Nah, you you know what? You don't need no shows. Get out there and activate. Yes. That's what we <laughs> yeah. need to do. On the ground. Yeah, you no, I was joking about that. One. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. But I'm just saying, get on the ground, activate, and get these initiatives going. Get get you know, form some worker co-ops, all that stuff. That's, done and that's done. What we need. But we I don't started... know. We don't know what the spark's going to be. So don't let a label stop you. It might be somebody that you would never think to agree with that might all of a sudden agree with you that will actually create the revolution. You know what I mean? Exactly. We might end up partnering with people that we loathe and we hate, but they're still human beings, so we fucking love them. And we have to do that first, and then we'll sort out the bullshit later once after the revolution has settled. Cool. Can I make one last piece, Abby, or are you going to close it up? Go ahead, Andrew. All right, thank you. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I definitely am not arguing to abandon any type of local organizing or, 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 you know, convince yourself not to start a local project. If that thing that you need already doesn't exist, that's not what I'm saying. Like to do anything regionally or nationally, you need a group of, you know, local groups. It's not going to work without that. And, you know, most of what I end up focusing my time on is like working with homeless encampments or like growing local agriculture where I'm at. I've been doing different stuff since I'm here and just trying to not be shitty at speaking Spanish. So I've been on kind of a break for a minute. But what I'm saying is like Morena didn't just like put out a national call over the media. They worked with people to start 10 person assemblies at the most local possible level. And those 10 person assemblies can bring up issues that reach all the way through the state and national organizing apparatus before Morena was even, you know, officially a party. And they went like piece by piece everywhere where they could start to build small groups of people. And, and it was not terribly difficult because people were so disaffected with what was already there. And they were also like offering something real on the way and they went just district by district and won as much as they could but also like they didn't dismantle any of that afterwards they are still starting new small assemblies of people who are dealing with you know local organizing themselves but also like bringing up what are they doing to the state and the national level and is still functioning that way i think um that's all i'll say like i just have I just have a lot more hope, like even more so than 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 the success of Ross Perot, uh, but with someone like a, a Nader or better. That's kind of what I'm what I'm thinking of. But it's not like the Nader person is not what's going to make it work. It's not just Amlo and his you know national recognition that made Morena successful. It was like the nitty gritty, really small scale um, communication and organizing and and like people just making it happen all over the place. So I'm like, I'm going to keep on making, uh, making people a little bit more food sovereign, a little bit by a little bit, making them grow a little bit of, uh, spices, food and medicine and stuff in their, in their apartment or their garden or whatever. But at the same time, I, I think we are talking to people from all different little corners of the U S right now. And also internationally and like this, you know, a hundred and what do we got? I don't know, 130 people, 115 people. Um, 
that's enough to get communication across most of the states. And if we are like, oh, we agree on 70% of the things and uh, maybe we can do something with that, you know, with that information, with the ability to talk to each other, uh, maybe we need to keep some some uh, written records of it. But I think like we have all the ingredients. Um, I don't think that, you know, I, I definitely agree with CR. If there's going to be like a big, large scale revolution, I, you can't necessarily predict when that's going to happen, what's going to tick people off. But at the same time, like you can plan and build a really substantial organization or, or numerous coalition of organizations. Um, you don't have to, you know, wait for the right moment to do that ever. That was pretty based, Andrew. I like that a lot. Well, guys, um, Zineb, Roger, Marco, CR, thanks so much for joining and everyone else who was joining before. Um, again, I also like to give a shout out to Case Study QB. Without Case Study QB's clips, like a lot of these things could not be possible. Like a lot of us don't have time to like watch uh, mainstream media <laughs> as much as he does. And so definitely shout out to him. And guys, if you come across him on Twitter, please give him a big thank you for his work because I, I really don't. I don't have time to watch like corporate media like that. And if I did, I think I'd probably pull pull my hair out. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but thank you guys so much for joining. Uh, signing off. Have a good night, guys. Talk to you later. Thanks, Sabs. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Much love. Bye. <laughs>